On the faraway island of Salamasand, Yertle the turtle was king of the pond. A nice little pond. It was clean. It was neat. The water was warm. There was plenty to eat. The turtles had everything turtles might need. And they were all happy, quite happy indeed. They were, until Yertle, the king of them all, decided the kingdom he ruled was too small. I'm ruler, said Yertle, of all that I see. But I don't see enough. That's the trouble with me. With this stone for a throne, I look down on my pond, but I cannot look down on the places beyond. This throne that I sit is too, too low down. It ought to be higher, he said with a frown. If I could sit high, how much greater I'd be. What a king. I'd be ruler of all that I see. So Yertle the Turtle King lifted his hand, and Yertle the Turtle King gave a command. He ordered nine turtles to swim to his stone, and using these turtles, he built a new throne. He made each turtle stand on one another's back, and he piled them all up in a nine-turtle stack. And then Yertle climbed up. He sat down on the pile. What a wonderful view! He could see most a mile. Oh, mine! Yertle cried. Oh, the things I now rule! I'm the king of a cow, and I'm the king of a mule! I'm the king of a house, and what's more, beyond that, I'm the king of a blueberry bush, and a cat. I'm Yertle the turtle, oh marvelous me, for I am the ruler of all that I see. And all through the morning he sat there up high, saying over and over, a great king am I. Until long about noon, then he heard a faint sigh. What's that? snapped the king, and he looked down the stack, and he saw at the bottom a turtle named Mac. Just a part of his throne, and this plain little turtle looked up and he said, Beg your pardon, King Yertle. I've pains in my back, and my shoulders and knees. How long must we stand here, your majesty, please? Silence! The king of the turtles barked back. I'm king, and you're only a turtle named Mac. You stay in your place while I sit here and rule. I'm the king of a cow, and I'm the king of a mule. I'm the king of a house, and a bush, and a cat. But that isn't all. I'll do better than that. My throne shall be higher, his royal voice thundered. So pile up more turtles. I want about two hundred. Turtles! More turtles! He bellowed and brayed, and the turtles way down in the pond were afraid. They trembled. They shook. But they came. They obeyed. From all over the pond they came swimming by dozens, whole families of turtles with uncles and cousins. And all of them stepped on the head of poor Mac. One after another, they climbed up the stack. Then Yertle the turtle was perched up so high, he could see forty miles from his throne in the sky. Hooray! shouted Yertle. I'm the king of the trees, I'm the king of the birds, and I'm the king of the bees. I'm king of the butterflies, king of the air. Ah, me, what a throne, what a wonderful chair. I'm Yertle the turtle, oh, marvelous me, for I am the ruler of all that I see. Then again from below in the great heavy stack came a groan from that plain little turtle named Mac. Your Majesty, please, I, I don't like to complain, but down here below we are feeling great pain. I know up on top you are seeing great sights, but down here at the bottom we too should have rights. We turtles can't stand it. Our shells will all crack. And besides, we need food. We're starving, groaned Mac. You hush up your mouth howled the mighty King Yertle. You have no right to talk to the world's highest turtle. 
I rule from the clouds. Over land, over sea, there's nothing, no, nothing that's higher than me. But while he was shouting, he saw with surprise that the moon of the evening was starting to rise up over his head in the darkening skies. What's that? snorted Yertle. Say, what is that thing that dares to be higher than Yertle the king? I shall not allow it. I'll go higher still. I'll build my throne higher. I can and I will. I'll call some more turtles. I'll stack them to heaven. I need about 5,607. But as Yertle, the turtle king, lifted his hand and started to order and give the command, that plain little turtle below in the stack, that plain little turtle whose name was just Mac, decided he'd taken enough, and he had. And that plain little lad got a bit mad. And that plain little Mac did a plain little thing. He burped. <coughs> and his burp shook the throne of the king. And Yertle the turtle, the king of the trees, the king of the air, and the birds, and the bees, the king of a house, and a cow, and a mule. Well, that was the end of the turtle king's rule. For Yertle, the king of all Salamasand, fell off his high throne and fell plunk in the pond. And today the great Yertle, that marvelous he, is king of the mud. That is all he can see. And the turtles, of course, all the turtles are free, as turtles and maybe all creatures should be. Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am David Robertson, and I am joined by the CEO of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. He's Cave Dan in your program. He's Cave Dan in our hearts. He's Daniel Shriver. Dan, what's going on, my friend? Hello, hello, David. Good to see you again. We are back. Yes, indeed. And we are very, very close to spoiler season for, is it Lost Caverns of Ixalan? Is that the name of the set? Yes, uh, Ixalan, The Lost Worlds. Uh, Tyrannosaurus in Los Angeles, something like this. Corporate synergy is merged with creative. This is uh, the Steve Jobs wet dream is happening. <laughs> Creativity merged with corporate synergy. So we have got a lot to get through because we have a lot of unfinished business with the previous set. And we were just like planning our next couple episodes. And David, you pointed out, you know, previews start like tomorrow. So I'm like, oh. Okay. Well, all right then. Excuse me. So we got to get ready for Lost Caverns of Ixalom, but that's all like, you know, that's a next week problem. Today, probably by the time you're listening to this episode, previews may be already started, but right now we are locked, focused on Eldrain. Is that right, David? Yeah, I, I think Eldrain's been an awesome set. I think the cards that have been uh, released in it have been really interesting in terms of deck building decisions. They have been powerful without being uh, ubiquitous, without being sort of overpowered. Um, yeah, I think this is another huge success, actually, from um, Wizards of the Coast. I don't know how people are experiencing it in Standard. I don't know how people are experiencing it in Limited. 
Uh, I think in modern, the, the up the beanstalk card unfortunately happens to interact very poorly with previous design mistakes. But yeah, there, there's a bunch of cards I'm still excited to try out. I, and, and I even feel like cards like Agatha's Soul Cauldron. There's activated abilities on a lot of creatures. So every set, there's a chance that, you know, that card is worth revisiting again. So Agatha's Soul Cauldron seems to be the great triumph of the set from a brewer's perspective. Beanstalk is, I mean, it's stronger than, stronger than we thought, stronger than it should be. I think Dom Harvey, he just put out a very eloquent case for why a card like Beanstalk makes it very clear that eventually we have to get rid of either Solitude, Fury, or both in Modern. And if that's the case, if that's the legacy of this set, I'd be perfectly happy with that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I have no strong opinions on Beanstalk myself, but uh, we will do like a brief check-in on Beanstalk tech because that is the rage these days in Modern. And... People are talking about banning grief. So we're most of the way to making people play mana for spells again in modern if we make some of these calls. You're just a sucker. If you're paying mana for cards in modern, you just shouldn't be playing those cards. It's just ridiculous. Like, <laughs> do you pay mana for that spell? Are you some kind of moron? <laughs> some kind of rube off the turnip truck? <laughs> you have to land the essential part of Magic the Gathering and use it to cast a spell? Like, you just have no idea how this format is played. What an idiot. What a moron. <laughs> you you tapped mana. <laughs> like, what even the, the 18th century? <laughs> With like a whalebone corset? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So we'll do a brief check-in on Up the Beanstalk, but uh, after that we turn our attention to the Brewer's format, Pioneer, where David has some, some new spice cooking with... Our old friend, Yurtle the Turtle, Blossoming Yertle Tortoise. Yurtle the Turtle, Blossoming Tortoise, my favorite card in the new set. Very excited to mm -hmm. uh, talk through those deck lists. It's seen a little bit of play in Pioneer, so unfortunately kind of in like bad guy type of decks, <laughs> but that's okay. Indeed, but the, the, the hope is alive. The dream yes. is alive for Blossoming Tortoise, for sure. Um, not just in Pioneer, but I've seen people messing around in Modern, even in Standard. So we'll dig into all of that, and then we'll check in on some decks that we've been playing. So we talked last week about Spiteful Hexmage. Uh, I ran one of David's lists through a very fun league. Um, share some of my results there. And then, David, you've been going a little bit off syllabus. You've been going all over the place in Pioneer, so we'll hear about some of your adventures <laughs> as well. With very limited success. So these will be more of a cautionary tales for the uh, the listening public. Limited success as in you've been about as successful as a limited deck would be if you just like, right, exactly. queued up with that in, in the Pioneer Leagues. So that's the agenda for today. Um, before we dive into all that, we will just do a brief bit of housekeeping, which is to say that if you enjoy the show and want to throw us some support, the best way to do that is by going to patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing, where you can sign up and make a pledge at any tier you like. That can be a dollar a week. And it gets you access to our wonderful Discord community, where you can hang out with like-minded brewers. As I said, it is technically preview season. So if you can't wait, right, if you're like, I want to talk about previews right now, I want to know now, what are people saying? Well, perfect time to hop into the Discord. And we have one new patron we'd like to welcome. That is Reed M. So welcome. And thank you. Thank you very much for your support. Yeah, big shout outs to Reed M wherever they are. Oh, speaking of, uh, Katie Couric, Heidi Kurdich, 
Platy Kurdic. <laughs> yeah. So we we welcome we yeah we welcomed a new patron last week that I thought was maybe <laughs> pronounced Platy Kurdic, referencing <laughs> Katie Kurdic, and we had this individual message Dan, and what did they say? They said that this is a, a sort of obscure statistical term. It's an advanced concept in statistics, a platycurtic distribution curve. I, I do not quite know what that is. A statistical distribution in which the excess kurtosis value is negative. Um, therefore, I mean, you a don't want that. <laughs> distribution will have thinner tails than a normal distribution will, resulting in fewer extreme positive or negative events. Well, as people who love the outliers, we can't. <laughs> necessarily uh, support this concept but i am delighted to find out that uh, this is another very cool name so he said this is an obscure thing that they thought would make a cool name it did make an incredibly cool discord name so hopefully we get some super sweet brews that are on the outside of the tails uh from this individual in the discord um yeah that was that was i was just sort of delighted when you uh, gave me that information i'm i'm going down the rabbit hole in real time right now Many people are asking the question, how do you know if data is platycurtic? What is the difference between platycurtic and leptocurtic? You go to faithlessbrewing.com. <laughs> Indeed. And you, be, you begin to have some of your questions answered. That's all I can tell you. You take the red pill <laughs> and you see how deep this uh, rabbit hole can go. Exactly. Speaking of, okay, so news of the week. Uh, we're not going to talk about previews right now, although they have begun. However, checking in briefly on, on Modern, Modern, as we know, has been bean-pilled uh, for the last few weeks. People are just going nuts with this card. What do I mean? Well, we all know that it works super well with the free spells, the pitch elementals, leyline binding, all that stuff. It works so well, in fact, that people have the idea that what if you just always had Beanstalk in play, right? And I believe it was... I want to say Dak Faden 07 was the first person I saw like really go hard on this concept. Um, he's a zoo aficionado. He loves to cascade into odd things. So maybe a month ago, he started cascading into Beanstalk instead of Crashing Footfalls. Or in addition to Crashing Footfalls, I think where he ended up landing on that was that he felt like it was a good sideboard option to you know, have the option to sideboard into Beanstalks instead of sideboarding into Rhinos. Fun experiment, sure, but... At a certain point, these outliers, the, those on the margins, come to control the center, right? And you just saw people at first memeing, but getting a little bit more and more serious. Cascade Beanstalk has just sort of become a deck, right? You can find it now in, the, in every league dump. Does well in the challenges now. It's not tier one, we could say, but uh, it's just like a known thing that happens. It reminds me a little bit, David, of when we were just cascading into Tybalt's back before they fixed the Eretta. Yeah, and, and I do think like, you know, Aspiring Spike is one of the the people that I think makes modern great. Dak Faden is another one of them. There's a handful of people that like brew in the formats. They accept the format for what it is, which, which you know, I have failed to do. That's more of a personal <laughs> failing of mine. Um, and within that context, they, you know, these, you know, a handful, you can name the four or five people that, that you want to name. Um, mm. They aren't masters of a certain archetype, although like you say, Dak Faden does like to play um zoo like builds but yeah once a few of them got a hold of it and then it's like okay well i'm gonna play four charlotte's agent and then i mean 
There could be other people, I, I don't know, but the Aspiring Spike is the first person I saw playing 12 Beans, the four Bloodbraid Elves, four Shardless Agent, four um, up the Beanstalk, and then you play four Teferi, so you win the Mirror, and then you still can interact with cheap creatures because you get to play Fire Ice. Um, and then the, the other cards are just very gated, right? Your, your mana base, you can fetch Trilands, those are a mistake. <laughs> you have four Solitude, four Fury, those are mistakes. In general, I think the Cascade mechanic was a mistake. Uh, reprinting Shardless Agent into the format, I think, was, it was a terrible decision. So, the card I really like in this whole deck is Lorien Revealed. <laughs> I think that card is really well designed. <laughs> um, okay. But I basically hate everything else that was, that was, uh, that's happening here. It's just like the deck is, is a summation of everything I hate. Very much so. I mean, seeing those four copies of Teferi as, as the Cascade Mirror Breaker... That brought me right back into the the week of Tybalt Cascade, where once people realize you don't just have to like do Jund Cascade in, into Tybalt, you can win the mirror by going blue. And by people, I mean myself, right? This was one of the things we worked on very heavily for like a four day span. Yep. And then like I almost I almost broke through. I almost cracked it. I was just defeated by people who went even further than me, right? Like I, I made top eight in a challenge and I lost in the top eight to someone who had realized that the fairy was a key and they'd even gone so far as to put commandeer into their deck so they were commandeering my tibolts uh in this cascade wars it's like those guys in the big short like the the people that knew that the system was bad were in, were buying all the uh betting against the c tranches but the people that made huge money were the people that bet all the way up against the b plus and b double plus tranches like they just went even crazier. Like, if you think that the whole system's going to collapse, you should bet on the ones that for sure can't collapse. <laughs> exactly. I'll need someone in a bathtub to explain that to me in terms I can understand. <laughs> yes. Well, that's the only thing we can do here. <laughs> but right. So this whole like arms race that ends in the cold snap pitch cycle, right? So Commandeer is back right now. Like, this is how you win the Cascade Beanstalk Mirrors. Um, Jerry Thompson just did a whole podcast about, uh, you know, they have like, their, their tech is Sunscour right now, him and Dave Shields. Elder Deep Fiend, another like a card that I absolutely love. You can play it for blue, blue with the evoke trigger on the stack for either of your five drops. Draw more cards, tap down your opponent in their upkeep with your solitude. So like killer creature, go up a card, tap them out, draw a card, attack. You have a five, six. It's easier to close out the game. Decking is a very real problem in these decks. Some people are playing one of the green pitch elemental just so they don't deck. That's how ridiculous these games are. Exactly. Like we're learning all these new new little tips. Like never play your fourth beanstalk, right? That's fatal. Right? So three right. beans is all you can do. And then we're seeing people go over 60 cards, like just get up to 80 to get like a little bit more uh, a little bit more juice in their deck. Um so that's like roughly what's happening in modern for those who choose to participate in the bean pill. Experimentation is happening. And I want to just give a quick shout out to Lawson's Andy and Mord. We hope to have them back on the show soon, but I saw them each respectively messing around with their own beanstalk takes. So what are these two up to? Well, Lawson has decided if anything that costs five or more is fair game, which seems to be the case for beanstalk now, what about Archive Trap? Archive Trap is sort of a win condition if you squint. And this, this reminds me, this took me way back, David, because you remember when Damon was like very interested in the card Didn't Say Please, like the three-man Yes, I spell? do remember that. I remember it very vividly. 
And this was when original Eldrine came out and Drown of the Lock had come out. So we were trying to figure out, um, you know, if like, can I just react now? Like now that I have Drown of the Lock, can I just react, mill them a little bit, maybe use into the story? And maybe I could just kill them just with Archive Traps, even though it, it's card down. The fact that it's zero mana, that might be like enough in its favor to make it a plausible win condition when combined with cards like Into the Story or Drawn of the Lock, etc. So I was always kind of interested in that as like, a, what if that's just your normal win condition? That idea has been dormant for a couple of years, but Lawson's like, okay, well, Archive Trap triggers Beanstalk, so now it's no longer card down. Now it's actually card neutral or potentially card up. Maybe it draws three or four cards if I've cascaded into multiple copies of Beanstalk. So he's taken the Cascade Beans shell, got his four Lorien Revealed, got his four Archive Traps, Solitude Fury, of course, Leyland Binding. Those are always going to be there. There's two copies of Commandeer to go win the mirror match. And he's even got Time Warps. I'm, I'm a little bit iffy on that, but he's gotten multiple four ones with this in the past week. It's almost like it doesn't matter how crazy it is. <laughs> it's like you can you can just do whatever you want now with Cascade and Beanstalks. Uh, he even went further, just a full meme. He put all all of the win conditions in and just played like a Battle of Wits deck, um, like Battle of Wits with Beanstalk, <laughs> and all the Cascaders, <laughs> all the Cascaders, exactly. And again, like the problem there is the problem is not that you're going to deck, but the problem is that you're going to draw below 200 cards. So he said the one time that he won with Battle of Wits, he had to use that endurance trick that David was just talking about to like, or I think, you know, he discarded, he discarded Embercool to hand size on his end step. Oh, there you go. In order to like reshuffle his deck to let Battle of Wits trigger because he'd drawn too far with beans and like couldn't actually pull off the Battle of Wits win anymore. It's getting really weird out there. I saw Mord was messing around with like, okay, what about, what if I put Squadron Hawk into my Beanstalk deck? And you think, well, wait a second, how does that work? Because um, now I could cascade into either a Beanstalk or a Squadron Hawk. And I think Mord's concept is like, okay, that's, that's fine. The first Squadron Hawk pulls out all the other Squadron Hawks. And then your second cascade will get the Beanstalk. And now you've got just a plush hand full of Squadron Hawks so that your Solitudes are extra free. He's playing full force on Scours. So that's extra free. That's the white pitch spell. So just so people know, Sunscour destroys all creatures. <laughs> Seven mana. Discard, exile two white cards to cast it for free. Exactly. Not obvious <laughs> what Sunscour does. I mean, Commandeer is really the only part of that cycle I think that people might be familiar with. Do you know what, all they, what they all do off the top of your head, Dan? The red one lets you take another combat step. The black one is four damage to any target. You gain four life. Oh, okay, because people have been playing that in the, the mono black burn list. The green one is Allosaurus Rider of Neoform Gristlebrand fame. Oh, okay, so that's all of them. Yeah, I mean, these are all on the table now with Beanstalk, right? I think I saw maybe it was. I've a seen Allosaurus Rider in lists. I've seen Allosaurus Rider just as a value play. <laughs> just, just for value. <laughs> exactly. I mean, these decks end up with a lot of lands in play, so Allosaurus Rider's like a, you know, five, six for free that drew a card. Or whatever is, is down, maybe only like was just a free mana and got the cards back. So the black one, Soul Spike, I want to say it was Aspiring Spike. Someone was playing this in. Yeah, he could think he called it Burnt Beans. Burnt Beans, exactly. <laughs> so the, the cool unlock was there's a certain trap, and I, I will never think what it's called. I believe it's called Needle Trap. If your opponent has gained life, you can cast yes. it for its trap cost of like one and a single black, yeah. Does some damage, basically. I think it does four and you gain four. Okay. Or or does five and you gain five. 
Yeah, but the most important thing is that it triggers beanstalk, right? So, yeah, exactly. So now you like need what do you need? Grove the burn willows to gain life to turn on the trap, and now you have yep. all these soul spikes and whatever that trap is to um, just go nuts. And the cool thing is that spells an instant, so you can do it on their turn, which gives you another chance because that deck was also playing four of the red uh, trap or um, the red miracle card that does five if it's the first card you draw that turn. Oh, right. It does five no matter yeah, what. Fun, it's five in a red yeah. instant. Yeah. So the needle trap lets you trigger on their turn as well. So you get your chance to draw the <laughs> the miracle card, and then on their turn you can activate your trap on their turn to get a draw on that turn. And if you draw the trap, obviously, or excuse me, if you draw the miracle, you get you can trigger your beans again. So in modern, the, the beanstalk nonsense hour continues. Um, I think most of those decks are still kind of jokey concepts. Uh, if you want to get like really real serious, I think you would take the Cascade Beanstalk list and experiment with like one of on the sideboard that you can cascade into, uh, whether that be like a Lavinia or a Core Firewalker or a Chalice of the Void or something like that. Um, people talking about Alpine Moon, where giving up the Beanstalk equity, like giving up giving up the guaranteed Beanstalk, is still worth it because these sideboard cards are so powerful. And then you know you let the second Cascader find the Beanstalk. So it's interesting because that's the level of randomness and innovation that I, I feel like previous Cascade decks haven't really attempted. Um, because before, like if you're going to Cascade into Living End, if you're going to Cascade into Rhinos, or even Cascade into Tybalt, that was just like so much, clearly so much better than in whatever else you were going to Cascade into that I didn't see people seriously considering like these random Tudor Cascade targets in the sideboard. But uh, yeah, so that that's currently where we're at in Modern with Beans. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the tiers are, but I, I think it's actually just a really good deck. I think it's the best mid-range deck. Um, I think there's a lot of black that's... Blacks had to adjust. All these lists have had to adjust because of how good that deck is. Mm. Uh, whether or not it's tier one or not is... Just a, just a question of classification, but multiple decks that would typically not play it are playing Shieldred. Everyone has to play the Bowmaster uh, just because so many cards are being drawn. Narset is making a comeback. <laughs> so Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Dak Faden's had some nice ones with Narset and Burning Inquiry, which is a nasty little combo. Yeah, um, and a very cool Grixis shell. All you know, again, with a four bow master. Yeah. So things are happening in modern. Movement is happening. <laughs> but we'll leave that there for now, and we will shift gears to get to our card of the week which is the Blossoming Tortoise. David, this is your favorite card, so tell us all about the tortoise. All right, Blossoming Tortoise. Two green green for a 3-3, three, three, so it's a hill giant. It's already basically playable <laughs> right there. Um, whenever it enters the battlefield or attacks, so it's like a little mini titan, you mill three cards and return a land card from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. And it has two other abilities, each of which are kind of relevant. One, activated abilities of lands you control cost one colorless less to activate. And land creatures you control get plus one, plus one. So it's both a card that can be a combo enabler. If you just have a bunch of um, creature lands in play, it, it's a lord and mana reducer. Like you can activate any number of mutavaults, any number of... Any, any of the older lands they've, they've printed that have uh, one colorless to activate. Mutavault is the only one that we really have access to in Pioneer. 
It pumps all your lands. If you can turn all your creatures into lands, or if you just have a bunch of lands to act activate, it has it's a value card. So unlike Shieldred, uh, it gives you something in the face of immediate removal. It gives you something every turn when you attack. Uh, it does ramp. It does fill your graveyard. It, it just does a bunch of things at the same time without being sort of obviously overpowered. So this is the kind of card as a brewer that responds to me. It also has like very beautiful art. If anyone out there is a Charles Darwin fan, it looks like his famous Galapagos tortoise. Oh, really? Is that what that is? Yeah. And famously, like the population got really low. So like this one male has bred with like hundreds of females. Like he basically replenished the entire population himself. <laughs> Sometimes you got to roll up your sleeves and uh, save your species, man. He's the hero we needed. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Those lucky lady tortoises. <laughs> this is off topic, but I, in preparation for this episode, I did not research the card, but I did go and read Yurtle the Turtle by Dr. Seuss. Yeah, that's a great one. That is a haunting story, David. That is actually insane that, that they let children read these stories. It's all about late stage capitalism. It's about this yeah. second Gilded Age that we find ourselves in right now. I mean, like you go read the bitter butter battle and it's about uh, yes. Soviet and U.S. Uh, nuclear detente. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> so Yurtle the turtle is like the king of the turtles. And he asks all of his little worker turtles to just keep stacking up on top of each other so he can see more and more. Because he declares that he rules whatever he can see. Exactly. And I'm just like reading this and thinking about the United Auto Workers strike, right? And the, the <laughs> screenwriter strike and all these charts showing the CEO pay of like Bob Iger from Disney compared to the average worker and just like tracking it over time. What is it now? Like 300 and some to one. Whereas when he started, it was 30 to one. Yeah. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I mean, Bob Iger is just a well-known booger. So <laughs> but yeah, there's an Elon Muskian <sighs> sort of, uh, <laughs> Vibe to Mr. Yurtle the Turtle. There's a there's a Donald Trumpian vibe to Yurtle the Turtle. And then it's also a call to action, right? Because that, that little turtle at the at the very bottom of the stack who just sneezes and then yep. the whole thing comes shaking down. Right. It's like the French Revolution. It's like this is it's all right here. It's all spelled out for you right here. <laughs> so there's a lot to learn from the card, from the story. I don't know like when we were gonna get to that, so I just like had to like insert that now, David. Sorry. <laughs> Everything you just said about the strategy was also very relevant and on point. <laughs> Get your commie gobbledygook in here <laughs> so we can in inspire the youth. Read. Does not have to be uh, the Communist Manifesto. It can be Yurtle the Turtle. That's also Precisely. acceptable homework. Precisely. <laughs> Distill the essence of some uh, great philosophical frameworks for the youth of, of today. With that framework in mind, I mean... Does that mean that this card is the villain or is this the hero? Because you were comparing it to the Galapagos progenitor, right? But I'm comparing it to King Yurtle, the evil king of the turtles. Well, this guy is the king of the turtles because there's not ever been a turtle that's anywhere near as powerful as this specific turtle. But for right now, basically cards are always the good guy until they become a card that we feel is ubiquitous, right? Like the mm. first people that were playing a couple fables, that was the cool card, right? And now it's like, oh, fables everywhere. This card... Same with Shieldred. I mean, we badmouthed it on the on the pod. It's like, oh, a four drop that yeah doesn't do anything when it comes into play, and it's like, it's all right, so if boring. it lives for a couple turns, yeah. yeah. Um, 
but yeah, now now children's a bad guy, right? People piss and moan about it. But if it was a little worse, <laughs> then it would be the good guy. Like, oh man, I got a four zero with my whatever. If it was a four one, right, it would it would be pretty poor. Right. So the blossoming tortoise's fate it hung on the knife's edge for a couple weeks there because someone, I want to say it was Oaf McNamara on the Magic Online, it's like put four copies into mono green and got a five zero. And like, okay, well, that, that's fine. Just experimenting with a card, see if it supports a known strategy. Mono Green is a good deck. Was that going to be the fate of Blossoming Tortoise if it's just like another card for Mono Green? <laughs> um, because, you know, ramping is good, because milling your graveyard is good. It finds your Storm of the Festivals, it stocks your graveyard for Cavalier of Thorns or whatnot, finds your Nykthos. Well, it turns out that that didn't end up happening. You can still find a bunch of 5-0 lists with the Tortoise. It's usually a one-of. Is that one fair of, to say? Yeah, exactly. Um, in the yeah, I mean, game. the cards that were caught here are, in my opinion, just strictly better. The fourth Cavalier was caught. Two Oath of Nissas. I mean, Oath of Nissa is the reason that Mono Green is good. You, you, you can't cut below four. It's so powerful. In theory, you're like, oh, this will find my Nykthos for me. It kind of does that, but it's four mana instead of one mana. <laughs> So if we're thinking specifically of mono green, like a boogeyman deck, is it the case that the tortoise just, um, it wasn't doing the right thing for the deck? I don't think it fixed any of the matchups, right? Mono green is either disrupted very, very early and blossoming tortoise doesn't help that. It's a four drop. So, you know, it's cast on the same turn you play Karn. It doesn't actually win the game by itself. It puts the pieces in the right places in theory to win the game, right? You want to put a storm of the festival in the graveyard and a mm. Nykthos in play. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't have a lot of control over what you mill, so it might do that, it might not. Um, it doesn't stabilize against any of these sort of aggro decks. You know, one of the things we've seen is Mono Green got a little bit better, not that much better, but just a little bit better when they started playing the 4-5 uh, Reach Pelucranos. Because mm-hmm. it gave it just a little bit more game, an extra card draw from Kiora from that card, it blocks a Spirit... It can get lifelink and aggro matchups. So, you know, I, I think when everything's going well, Blossoming Tortoise is a great card. I think it's a little bit more, maybe win more in Mono Green. Like, if you have time to play it and attack, I, I, Mono Green just wins that game every, every time. So it could really be anything in, the, in that slot. Yeah, I feel like what makes Mono Green so dangerous is that however much you disrupt them, however much you kill their elves or fault season, if they just resolve a Cavalier or a Storm of the Festival or even a Karn, you might just you might just lose immediately. Yes. And Tortoise does not do that, right? Yeah. Like, it's a card you're hoping they hit. Like, yeah. I always think when they cast a Storm of the Festival and I'm ahead, right? I've thought sees them. I've killed an elf. I've got some pressure on the board. They probably are going to get to six mana, you know, unless you're playing a Counterspell deck. And they're going to resolve, like, one Storm of the Festival. And, like, how much pressure do you have on them at that time? And if I'm thinking of cards I want them to hit there, <laughs> I want them to hit Turtle. I don't want them to hit, um, you know, Cavalier, which blocks everything and ramps them and fills the graveyard. I don't want them to hit Karn, the Great Creator, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so we avoided that fate of it becoming a bad guy in yep. a Tier 1 deck. Now, the other possible fate was that Blossoming Tortoise would just become a generic value card in a generic value archetype of which there is, it really isn't one for green. So maybe that would itself be an improvement, but what would the analysis be of the tortoise in that respect? Well, it's like David's saying, it's got that Titan clause, right? Where you get the ETB and the attack trigger. 
It's ramp and card advantage every time you hit a land. That's super powerful. I mean, we did a whole episode on Soul of Wind Grace, and that didn't even have the mill three, right? That that just had the get back a land tapped yes. um, yep. on ETB and attack. And even that alone was almost good enough, right? It was good enough in modern, or weaker modern back then. But, you know, once we started putting it into decks with fetch lands, decks with Urza's Saga, it was just like a fine curve topper for like the Jund Saga decks. Now, when we tried to do that in Pioneer, it was a little bit less successful. I personally found it like a bit frustrating to have to put things like Fable Passages into a three-color mana base. Uh, it just wasn't quite working out. But it was like still like it was almost there. So I felt like there was a chance that you could just take a mid-range deck, put Blossoming Tortoise in, and it would just become like a, a known thing. And if you go searching now for Tortoise 5-0 list, you will find like Golgari mid-range. For some reason, they only play one copy of the Tortoise. I'm not totally sure I understand why. Yeah, I, I don't either. So, you know, the, the real question is, you have to do a lot of work, I think, to make this card better than Shieldred. So after all of our mocking of Shieldred, it is now the bad guy. At four mana, it's really hard to be better than Shieldred. It's not mm. impossible in synergy-based decks, right, to be better than Shieldred. Um, but you have to do the work. So there's no way in the shell that you have, you have the 5-0 list in front of us, that I would ever play the Tortoise over... I would probably not play another 4-drop, but, like, is Tortoise really better than Chariot in the, in the shell that we have here? I, I, I don't believe so. So I think if you're going to play it in a Golgari shell, and I have a couple that we'll talk about, I think you want to at least try, let's at least try to like push what the turtle does to the limits and see if we can you know, make it better than Chariot, better than Shieldred. Those are the two, I think we sort of understand, consensus best four drops in those two colors on just straight value. You know, Tortoise isn't obviously more powerful than them. You have to do extra work for it to be a little better than them. And so that, that's what we're here to do is to do the work. Yeah, exactly. I just want to say one more thing about Tortoise in this Golgari mid-range list. There's a few players who are like still messing around with this, and they've, they've held steady at one Tortoise, three Shieldreds, um, which gives me some hope. It, may, it makes me curious, at least. If I had to analyze like what, what does Tortoise do for the deck that's better than Chariot, you look at what lands they're playing. They're not playing Fable Passage, right? They're not playing any natural way to discard lands outside of just like Liana of the Veil, which is a little bit unusual, granted. Um, but they are playing a fair number of creature lands. So two Lair of the Hydras, one Restless Cottage, one Hive of the Eye Tyrant, and then the one Takanuma and Boseiji, which might find their way into the graveyard as well. I wonder if it's Lair of the Hydra. Is that like the big get for mid-range? Because the, the ability to not just get the activation for one cheaper, but also get that bonus plus one plus one seems like the layer just is just going to do a lot more damage over the course of the game when you have Tortoise to unlock it. I mean, I think Hive is better uh, myself, unless you're mostly green. Mm. Hive getting the plus one plus one as a menace creature is interesting. Like a lot of times you can't attack with Hive if they have a four toughness creature and another one. So now you can activate Hive for cheaper. Obviously, Lair has a lot more um, variability to it because you can you know, activate it with extra mana all the time. But untapped green on turn one is not very good in these decks because mm. they're Fatal Push, Thoughtseize. This is even a deck with two Duresses. So yeah, obviously they think it's the better attacking land. That's why they're playing it. But I, I, I'm not a believer. I also don't think Restless Cottage is ever better than Hive of the Eye Tyrant. I, I don't even think it's close. Well, it's a dual land. Um, it cleans with a graveyard. It makes food. 
I mean, Hive of the Eye Tyrant cleans up the graveyard and casts Fatal Push and Thoughtseize on turn one, and Fatal Push and Thoughtseize on turn two, and Reckoner Bankbuster on turn two, et cetera, et cetera. Like, a coming to play tap land is a huge cost, and it's more expensive to activate. Mm. Or no, it's exactly the same, but it's not Menace. Hmm. I guess the other reason you, you might prefer the Tortoise here over Chariot is that uh, this particular construction has a lot more mana sinks outside of the land slot. So there's four copies of Mosswood Dread Knight. That's the adventure creature that you can keep recycling. And there's even one copy of Virtue of Pestilence, um, which is a new mythic. Virtue of Persistence. Oh, gosh, really? <laughs> I don't think I realized that after. <laughs> I was like well, 100% you know, the, the convinced it was Pestilence. The effect of the virtue is to bring back a creature every turn. Uh, so that's the, that's the persistent aspect of it. But I thought that it's the effect of the virtue is to kill a creature. Isn't that what its primary mode does? Well, the primary mode is the f- the real card, not the adventure. No, no one ever casts the primary mode. Virtue of... If it didn't... I mean, the the adventure half of it is very poor, so I hope you're casting it. Oh, come on, Lockthwain's score is good. That's two mana, kill a creature, gain two life. What's wrong with that? Sorcery speed? It is not two mana, kill a creature. <laughs> Is absolutely not two mana kill creature. There's no way they're playing this for the seven drop. This, the seven drop is a bonus, right? I think the they can play the seven drop because they have a tortoise in their deck. Well, sure, right, right. I mean, that was that's the big payoff. But I don't think virtue of persistence is like a card I'm interested in playing in mid range shells. Uh, I've had it played against me. It's very, very, very slow. It's very, very, very weak. My two cents. I'm utterly floored that it's persistence. You you could have like asked me to stake life money on this <laughs> like, yeah obviously pestilence it's the black one i mean the a level of removal of this deck is insane two murderous rider four push three decay two go for the throat the mm. front side of virtue of persistence <laughs> um and then three liliana <laughs> it's like this deck doesn't really care about winning i guess so i guess if you're gonna play a bunch of turns might as well just have the turtle and play <laughs> Okay, so to recap, it has not made it as a generic ramp card in Mono Green. It has not really made it as a generic value card. And that means that it's a brewer's card. It's free for us to brew with, David. Free and clear. Exactly. All right, so what are you thinking? I see you've got, it looks like, four different lists here for us to consider. Okay, so my first shell is similar to the red-green mid-range, red-green boats, etc., which has, um, at least we, we know as a proof of concept, like these are reasonable cards up on the deck. So we got our eight Land, land War Elf effects, Reckless Stormseeker, uh, Huntsman's Redemption, which is a card that Red Green Midrange has adopted. We have three Chariots, and then our four drop instead of um, the three and a red Saga that takes control of a creature or more Chariots, etc., is the Turtle. So just on a baseline, the turtle is really good with Reckless Stormseeker because it has a come into play ability and an attack ability. So if you go turn two, mm. Stormseeker attack for three, turn four, turtle, make it a four, three, attack. In theory, you'll get two lands, but hopefully at least one. Also, it's cool, like if you mill two lands with your first mill, you can like miss on your second one and still get a land back. Um, and yeah, maybe it trades and dies. So that's, that's a, an out that we have. Then the Huntsman's Redemption is kind of interesting. So there are cards that you have correctly pointed out that are quite poor on their own, but they do combo with the Turtle. So we're playing four Mutavaults in this list. And Mutavault plus Blossoming Tortoise 
uh, goes infinite with either Draconic Destiny or Crackdown Construct. All right, we got we got some readers here. <laughs> let's, let's okay, so cards. Blossoming Tortoise allows Mutavault to activate um, for free, right? So it becomes a 2-2. But even once it's a 2-2, you can just activate it over and over and over again. It becomes a 3-3, three, three, actually, a 3-3. Three, three. Oh, th- yeah, great. So Crackdown Construct says whenever you activate an ability uh, that's not a mana ability, it gets plus one, plus one. So you're kind of nut draw, if you will. Let's say you're playing Mono Green and they're not interacting with you. You go turn one elf. Turn two, Huntsman's Redemption, get a 3-3 Beast. Turn three, you sack the Beast and tutor up a Crackdown Construct and play it on turn three with your Mana Elf. Turn four, you sack your Huntsman's Redemption. Its ability gives Trample to two creatures. So it gives Trample to your Crackdown Construct and Trample to your Land Elf, although you won't attack with it. You play a Blossoming Tortoise, and if you have a Mutavault in your top, however many cards that was, you make an infinitely large Crackdown Construct that has Trample and kill your opponent. That's the fastest way this deck can kill. Turn four. Turn one Elf, turn two Huntsman, turn three Crackdown Construct, preparing for a lethal attack on turn four. Correct. And it will have Trample from Huntsman's Redemption. Exactly. So Huntsman's Redemption, I didn't even realize the third part when I was like working on, because I had an original shell with four Crackdown Constructs. Dan was, we'll just say, very skeptical of such a concept, which he was very correct to do so. I, the card is very poor. I hate cards that die to stomp. It does so very easily at huge mana cost to us. Um, so just having the one as a tutor target when we want it at, against Lotus Field, against, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Giving us a chance to win on turn four on the play is really, really excellent. But we won't draw it most of the time. I'm going to read this saga because we haven't really talked about it much. Yeah, we kind of skipped over it. It's actually turned out to be quite good. The Huntsman's Redemption 2 in a Green Saga. Chapter 1, Create a 3-3 Green Beast Creature Token. Chapter 2, You may sacrifice a creature. If you do, search your library for a creature or basic land card, reveal it, Put it in your hand, shuffle. So you sack a creature, that can be the beast token you made. It could be your elf if you're desperate. Tutor up any creature or any basic land. So it doesn't actually get special lands. You can't find the mutavolts off this, but you can find the no. countdown construct or the turtle. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And then chapter three, up to two target creatures, each get plus two, plus two, and gain trample until end of turn. So I guess when I was analyzing this card during preview week, I kind of just skipped chapter three. It didn't seem like it was worth anything. I didn't even know what the chapter three did. I knew it tutored. So I was like, okay, I can play that. I saw that Doomwake was playing in the red green mid range shell. So I was like, all right, proof of concept. This is in like decks that people have at least tried. And then I can go to one crackdown construct and Dan can't be that mad about it. I was like, <laughs> I'll find a way to give it flying or something later. Then I was like, oh man, this third, <laughs> this third thing is exactly perfect. So you mentioned David, that red green mid range has picked up four copies of Huntsman's Redemption. Any idea why? I don't know. I don't really understand the red-green deck. Like, I'm not sure what it's supposed to be good at. I think it's very good against red-black mid-range. Mm-hmm. And red-green, that, that shell doesn't even play Fable, which we're playing in this deck because we have combo pieces we're trying to find and, and cards that are, like you say, objectively weak in certain matchups. So they're like no longer a boats deck. The the red green mid range deck typically does not even, does not play in any of the five mana cards anymore. So it's more just like a chariot deck. 
Um, I wonder if a the three three is actually like really good with the chariot. Mm. It's a bigger bigger token to get copied. I mean, it's not. It's it seems trivial. Like you copy a three three, but like if you play it with the chariot, you add like you get an extra power on each side when you copy. Um, I don't know that they typically have a couple cards to tutor for. They often have a like scavenging ooze to tutor for. Um, they often have a Voldaren Thrill Seeker to tutor for, which we do as well. Um, so maybe those tutor targets are very relevant. When I watched a little bit of Doomwake stream in preparation for this, he often wasn't sacrificing anything. Like it just mm. didn't seem like a very good card, although he kept saying how broken it was. So <laughs> I'm, I'm not I'm not a red green aficionado. I, people are having success with it, but I never saw it do anything. Um, but it, it does do things, and it is probably good in cyborg games if there's like disenchant effect creatures and. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering, David, if you feel like the Akroan war is now like, the only reason to really play that deck. Cause I noticed that it started off as a sideboard card, but now everyone's just playing four main. And whenever I get paired against red green, it's, that's like the card that I, I can never beat. Like if I'm playing anything combat related, if they ever draw a Crown war, I just feel like, well, that's the game. Yeah. A Crown war is, is a, is a very powerful card. It's kind of a fun card to play around if you have like Odoar in hand or Disenchant effects. You can mm. kind of get them, uh, which is super cool. Um, yeah, maybe. I, I don't. I don't really get what it's what's what it's doing. Like you're playing Chariot, but Chariot can never get crewed against Mono Green because of Karn. Mm. Your creatures are never big enough to get through their big creatures, so you have to draw a Crow in War. Anyway, all right. We're not doing. Any of that nonsense. We're trying to win with the turtle. Exactly, exactly. So it's it's very cool that we now have like this built-in tutor option without having to sacrifice too much. This is a card that Red Green should be playing anyway, apparently. Huntsman's Redemption. Also worth noting, Huntsman's Redemption happens at the start of your main phase, so you can tap your elf in response to the trigger. Let's oh, say you, you need that mana. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yep. Okay, that's nice. Okay, so I already like the the core, right? Turn one elf, turn two huntsman, or turn two stormseeker, or turn two fable. Um, but yeah, that, so this stormseeker into chariot was always pretty dangerous. Now you're saying yes. you have three chariots, four tortoise, to like get that really sweet stormseeker sequence. Um, that seems yes. very powerful. The other line that seems super powerful is just tortoise making mutavolt a free three three. Like a three three is pretty large these days unless children's in play like that's that's gonna hit for a good chunk of damage and it's just easy to find like it's just uh it's so cheap to activate with tortoise in play yeah and then we can also i'm playing two draconic Dr destiny so if we have tortoise in play and we crew up mutavolt for free becomes a three three if we have one red red we just enchant it with Draconic Destiny and <laughs> make that? it infinite power. So Draconic Destiny is one red red enchant creature. Enchanted creature gets plus one plus one and has flying and haste. And one mana colorless. This creature gets plus one plus O oh until end of turn. It's a dragon in addition to its other types. Okay, so the reason we need this to combo is what exactly? Um, the Tortoise makes the activated ability of lands free, so once we enchant mm. a land with Draconic Destiny, it can have infinite power because it sort of gets the um, ability of a, like a Lava Claw reaches. So you just pump it into it one at a time, 
Each activation costs zero, so you give it plus one plus zero for free, plus one plus zero for free, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so this is the scenario where Tortoise has landed, and for yes. whatever reason, it's still alive. You know, it's found us a land or two, it's found us a mutavolt, or we've got two copies of Lyra the Hydra. Um, are we playing Bugbear? No, we're not. No, six we need lands. untapped green on turn one. So our, our lands are two Lair of the Hydra, four Mutavolt. So the Tortoise has found one of those, and now we untap. Their shields are down. Activate the land for one cheaper. Slam the Draconic Destiny onto the land, and you're infinite, right? Infinite flying. Uh, hopefully they can't block. Yeah. Okay. How bad is this card apart from the combo? Uh, it seems pretty bad. Maybe if you had like double striking creatures, it would be a little better. I don't think anyone would like ever consider this. It is mythic rare, I guess, maybe because of limited purposes. <laughs> I will say when the enchanted creature dies, you get the draconic destiny back. I didn't mention that. It has the uh, rancor effect for people who are old like Dan and I. Hmm. Um, hard to imagine a scenario where you enchant the creature they don't die or kill the creature in response to the enchantment, but I, I mean, something could happen. <laughs> I kept getting this confused with uh, Demonic Embrace, and I was getting very excited because Demonic Embrace is one that you can actually cast from the graveyard. That's the black. Yes, that would be really sweet. Um, which this does not do, but I'm, now I'm like wondering if we should be playing Demonic Embrace in one of these black-green tortoise concepts. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it. That's actually a really interesting call. Also, like making sure your tortoise can attack and not die is not trivial, right? Like sometimes a 3-3 is going to attack, you'll do it just to ramp, and then it'll you know, get blocked by Adeline or um, Shieldred or you know, Bone Crusher Giant or something. Okay, so to round out the deck list in your red-green, you've got your four fables... Two Storm of the Festival, and then your three tutor targets. Uh, we talked about the Crackdown Construct already. Anything you want to say about the Thrill Seeker or the Combat Celebrant? That's kind of a surprising choice. Yeah, so Voldaren Thrill Seeker is if we can't attack for some reason. Let's say we have Draconic Destiny and we can enchant Mutavolt, but um, we think our opponent has the, uh, the white uh, channel land, right? We don't, we don't think we're going to be able to get in for enough damage. Voldaren Thrill Seeker lets us just pump the creature and then sack it, throw it, throw it at them. And it gets an ability that costs one colorless. So that's also free. So it actually doesn't take a lot of mana to do the thing. Um, it also like, you know, you get in with chariot and then you, you know, you enchant it with thrill seeker and then you throw it at him. Like you can do 14 damage on your last turn, right? Like storm seeker pumps, chariot, Voldar and thrill seeker comes down that turn, pumps, chariot, you know, attack for seven, sack it. Um, also layer of the Hydra again, as you referenced is not that hard to pump really big with blossoming Taurus with a bunch of land. So anyway, just, just another way to just finish off damage. I think it's just a better card than like bone crusher giant as a tutor target. Combat celebrant is a tutor target because if you have a flipped fable, now obviously it's not going to happen very often, but a flip fable that's active and a mana creature, you can play combat celebrant, copy it with your fable and tap your elf. The new celebrant attacks and exerts and untaps all your other creatures. So your elf is now untapped and your flipped fable is untapped. So you can have infinite combat steps. Oh, yes. <laughs> Love that. Okay. Yeah, so fable's a card that red-green you know, has been on again, off again with. Um, I think it's better here because you can get the lands back with tortoise, um, get the celebrant combo. 
there's obviously nothing wrong with Fable. Yeah, it's actually way better here. To your point about the um, the Jundu that we didn't like it very much in Pioneer, the only way you could really mm. play reasonable cards and get them into the um, graveyard was either to specifically draw Fable on turn four mm. um, or or play Fable. Yeah. Um, so this 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 lets you do that. You're not always going to hit a card. Also, we have these cards that aren't good, right? You don't want to go for Draconic Destiny against Red Black. That's a bad bad idea. Against Mono Green, you want to rush through everything that isn't the combo. You're you're all in on the combo because they don't have a lot of ways to destroy creatures. Mm -hmm. So I think Fable is actually going to be really good here. It also like helps our ramp plan, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then we get to play Storm the Festival. It's a card we can get to naturally. Turn three Tortoise in theory hits a land. Next turn you play an untapped land. You have six mana to cast Storm. And then if it mills Storm, we have an outside shot of getting up to enough mana, especially if we like start Fable copying the Tortoise. Again, the Fable copy comes into play and attacks, so you get two triggers to try to find lands. So it's not inconceivable to get up to 10, even without Nykthos. The list looks super fun. If you're listening and wondering, how did we fit in so many wonderful combos? Well, we're not interacting. We're just not doing it here. So <laughs> We have one way to kill creatures. It is Voldaren Thrillseeker. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's... Is this a good idea? I mean... You you could you could like cut a couple fables you could cut the Othonesses you could cut the storm of the festivals and cut the combat celebrant and right there you you have seven slots for interaction. Yeah, and, and you know because we have a all these combo finishes, my thought is that we won't need it, but you'll have to find out. Mm -hmm. And in the sideboard, those are exactly the cards you take out right against red black. You're not going to play draconic destiny. You can't go for it like that. Um, you know you bring in ways to kill shieldred or whatever card you're worried about. That's game two problems, but yeah, I'm yeah. excited to go nuts with the turtle in this. This is very sweet. Reminder, reminder, if you're Storm the Festivaling, just activate Mutavolt for free first. If you want like Draconic Destiny to land on it as a way to win, it needs to be, needs to be a creature first. Wait, what? If, you, if you're going to Storm the Festival, if you have an, uh, make your Mutavolt a creature first. Let's say you already have a Blossoming Taurus in play. Then if Draconic Destiny is one of the cards, it just gets put on a creature that's already in play. You can't you don't have you don't have a window to activate Mutavolt. Or crew up chariot, for instance, if you want to take it to the sky. <laughs> Indeed. Also, again, Draconic Destiny, I'm not defending this card, but it does give flying, so it's a way to make sure your tortoise can keep attacking. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a mana sink. I mean, it is a mana sink. It does do I mean, that. It makes the tortoise four four. All the mana you have pumps the tortoise. We'll see. It might be so bad we just don't play that and replace that with removal. We, we just have the the crackdown construct is like a tutorable. I just played an entire league with that Godric trying to make a make a dragon. So yeah, I respect it. I respect the draconic destiny. I just wish it gave more than plus one plus one. We all do. <laughs> the history of uh, them printing really good mythic rare creature enchantments is very poor. Like all the auras are like kind of hilariously underpowered when you consider like. Well, Angelic Destiny. They expose you to this two for one. <laughs> Angelic Destiny is literally plus four, plus four. And I just assumed this one was at least that, but it's plus one, plus one. <laughs> Not quite the same. But all right. So that's red, green. Red, green, Draconic Destiny, Crackdown Construct combo. From there, we move on. Okay. On to a blue, green sort of control list. 
I have been experimenting a lot with shells that are like four sensor, four girl spiral. And then in my like God eternal Kefnet list, I was playing four fading hope four blue suns twilight, which law 11, who's a, a wonderful uh, contributor to our discord and has a, um, a great sub stack. People should be checking out had kind of proposed as like replacing push in terms of enough creature interaction to possibly survive. Blue Suns Twilight gets a lot better if you have a natural way to ramp it out. So we have the Gross Spiral Blossoming Tortoise package, for lack of a better word. We're playing still a singular God Eternal Kefnet. Blossoming Tortoise is actually really good with Shark Typhoon. Again, if you turn three Tortoise, in theory, you can play Shark Typhoon on turn four, like hard cast it. Um, Tortoise fills up our graveyards. So we're playing two Dig Through Time. Those should be relatively cheap if we find them. We are playing a card like Cyclonic Rift, which is good, on, not good, it's okay at two mana, but it's a card we will have access to a lot of mana to later. We have a ton of lands that get value from our Blossoming Tortoise. So we have Fabled Passage, two Lair of the Hydra, two Hall of Storm Giants, a Mirex. Um, we are playing for Memory Deluge. So that's a card that we can mill over for value. And the tortoise gives us enough mana that in theory we'll have enough to flash it back eventually. So we hopefully won't gas. Yeah, so that's that's the deck, basically. Simic colors do not have an illustrious history in Pioneer. Not after Uro was banned, anyway. <laughs> it's been a minute, yeah. It almost looks like you took a Wilderness Reclamation deck and just... Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's what i've been doing i've basically been building the wilderness reclamation deck without the best card and then trying to like salvage a playable deck any green four drop that produces mana like are you eres tu mi mama like you get in there you know <laughs> yeah can you be my wilderness, wilderness wreck <laughs> yes i mean maybe it's so interesting because there's really no creatures in this deck so the, the tortoise is not likely to survive. There's the one Kefnet, there's the one Soviet Garrotted, and the four turtles. They're going to die, but they might get a land or two before that happens. Is that enough? Yeah, and then what do they do after board? They just leave me, my turtle? <sighs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. I feel like what's held back this color combination in the past is just that the interaction is not correct for what Pioneer demands. Right, so we're looking at Four Fading Hope, Four Sensor, Four Blue Suns Twilight. And I, I respect what you're saying, right? The Law 11 school of Fading Hope into Blue Suns Twilight is almost the same as Two Fatal Push. And then if you get longer in the game, the Blue Suns Twilight double steals, right? Steals and copies. But how realistic is that? Well, so my God Eternal Kefnet list dominated uh, Red Black. That, that was an easy matchup. So I think this deck will actually have an awesome uh, matchup there. What we're really worried about is mono white and spirits, but Shark Typhoon is awesome against spirits. So that maybe gives us some hope there. Basically, just trying to, to delay the game until you can Typhoon for a 3-3. So we can get to five mana against spirits with Shark Typhoon in hand. They basically can't win. Mono white is probably insoluble. Um, I, I honestly don't think there's a series of cards that I could play that, that could salvage that. Um, I will be looking. I will be experimenting, but... Like Thalia is just <laughs> absolutely unstoppable. So I got I gotta like go deep into the <laughs> the archives and see if we can find a way. So you also have a note here, David, that you're wondering if there's other graveyard payoffs 
And I'm curious if you had any further thoughts on that. So right now we're playing the two dig through times, the four memory deluge, and then the four tortoise. Yeah, with a Balagad recovery as our 26 land. So in theory, it's a cool card to hit with God Eternal Kefnet. It's also like the tortoise kind of helps us faux tutor for it, if, you, if you'll allow that. Um, mm. I was looking at cards with flashback and blue-green, and there really aren't any good ones. I think the best one is the one blue make a treasure, three and a blue make two treasures, if it's flashback. And that's just really weak. Make a clue, right? Yeah, sorry. What, what did I say? Treasure? Yeah. Investigate. The other one is like the frog. It like copies creatures. That's not good uh, for what we're doing. I, I couldn't find anything else that was like reasonable. There's a a regrowth for three that flashes back for five. Yeah, these cards are Secrets of the Key, Croaking Counterpart, and Dryad's Revival. So yeah, nothing, nothing too exciting there. <laughs> What's that? Uh, what's that zombie that if you like can you, you can discard it like exile it from your graveyard for like four mana and you draw a card or something? What does that do? Do you know what I'm talking about? It kind of looks like a horse. It's like a one blue. We talk, we joked about it. it's like a Dan Streamer no. card when it got spoiled. Cobbled Maybe Lancers. it's a zombie horse or something. Cobbled Lancer. Okay, what does that do? It's three three for one, and then you have to exile a creature from the graveyard to cast it. Yeah, but I'm never going to do that. What is it, What happens when it's in my graveyard? <laughs> you pay four to draw a card and exile it. So it's, it's not too good. Um, okay, I don't love that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. What about escape? So there's this, the one-two spider with reach. If you escape it, it comes in as a four-five. But that's not good enough. Um, Picklock Prankster, maybe? Just like a card that just generically fills the graveyard a little bit more. Yeah, but we already have graveyard filling unlock with this turtle. Well, I want I, more payoffs. <laughs> okay, sure, sure, sure. All right. I mean, they should never have banned Uro. Uro would be sweet in this deck. That's that's the truth. Uro and Tortoise would be so good together. Mm. What about Titan's Nest? Is that like at all relevant for what this deck is trying to do? I'm I'm done with Titan's Nest. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> that card sucks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, the turtle feels it. It's good with Shark Typhoon. Yeah, these are true facts. I mean, you are... I mean, Fatal Push is a lot better than Fading Hope. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, fair enough. So that's blue-green Cynic value with Blossoming Tortoise. From there, we go into what looks like black-green. Yeah, so I I played a league against someone who's playing Ren and Realm Breaker with like Hive of the Eye Tyrant and the crappy black green uh, knockoff Hive of the Eye Tyrant. And Realm of the Realm Breaker is actually really sweet. It's plus on the Hive makes it a 3-3 hexproof vigilant. So once they kind of had that set up, they would get to crew their Hive for free. They get to attack, exile a card from my graveyard with Menace. If I didn't have enough power to keep it off of me um and then it was also a vigilant blocker that could cast fatal push or whatever so i really like that idea and i was like okay if you're gonna do that that's a cool card to combine with tortoise it also mills the creature that it, if it animates a, a land blossoming tortoise pumps that land for you 
And then if you don't have Ren or they kill their your Ren and you don't want to play that many Rens anyway because it's a shitty card despite our Twitter uh, <laughs> trail back during its spoiler season that suggested it might find more of a home. Blossoming Tortoise is just good with Hive. So this deck tries to kind of like use as much of the Tortoise as it can. So we're playing four Tenacious Underdog. That's a card that gives us value when we mill it. Um, Misery Shadow is a card that is a excellent mana sink. And I'm playing a cheeky Ashaya. I don't actually think you should do this, but Ashaya <laughs> with a Misery Shadow and Blossoming Tortoise in play uh, makes Misery Shadow an infinite, infinite creature because all creatures in play are lands and Misery Shadow ability uh, gets reduced by the Tortoise. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. And then I'm playing one, one Cling to Dust which is an escape spell we can mill to get value, etc. And then one Tassiger, which is a very good card as long as you're filling your graveyard regularly. This, that's our only delve spell. So we just delve away our non-land cards that the turtle is getting back. And uh, yeah, that's basically it. Just a bunch of removal. Okay, so this should work. Um, it's interesting to me that you're opting for like the Black Interaction Suite when... Cards like Ren, cards like Blossoming Tortoise. I mean, in the previous two decks, we were trying to accelerate into these, and it, it would seem like a natural curve, like Elf into Ren into Tortoise. But you're you're not going for that route. You're going for those a little bit slower play Tortoise on turn four or turn five, play Ren at a very late stage of the game, and just try to interact and take them off their game for the first few turns. Is that right? Yeah, so the problem with the curve you're describing, Dan, is we just have the best mana elf into Tortoise deck. There's no way that you can make a mid-range list that is better than mono green doing at what it does. So like making a worse version of that deck is not particularly interesting to me. So the only reason you'd want to play Tortoise in a deck that has green is you're playing another color that has interaction. And Tortoise is a card that wants you to take a lot of turns because every turn you get to attack, right, and functionally draw another card. Hmm. Well, I imagine that I don't, I don't really need Tenacious Underdog, do I? Like, I could make those could be elves. I could cut some lands for elves. I could cut the Meteor Massacres for elves. Cut Lilianas for Ren and Breakers. I could still play Thoughtseize Push, and then just rely on creature lands to be my card advantage. Yeah, you could do that. I mean, then you can't really play Hive, so you'd have to play the the green land. One of the things that's cool about Hive with Ren and Breaker is it gets menace so it's very hard to block i mean it doesn't mm. get indestructible so if you're attacking with a 3-3 land and they just have a creature that can block it you can't really attack with it mm. but hive having menace is super cool with um ren and especially with the tortoise in play it's, it's just a 4-4 that hits our graveyard every turn you're playing a lot of graveyard hate now between the single cling that we can mill to and the three hives that um ren or blossoming tortoise can make very easy to activate I mean, I, like, I actually think Tenacious Underdog is just a really good card, and I really want something I can draw with Blossoming Tortoise where it functionally is drawing me a, a card card like that affects the board. I love how this deck has both Ren and Tortoise doing that three cards in the graveyard at a time. Right? I feel like that, that was always the great promise of Ren and Realmbreaker, the minus two, mill three. You may put a permanent card from among the mill cards into your hand. Finds you gas, finds you lands if you need it, and just stocks up the graveyard for later. Now, in this case, the later is just getting lands back with Tortoise. Um, I guess we have the one Tassiger, and then also escaping the underdog. 
But here's a question. So you have this Ashaya in here, kind of the, the cheeky Ashaya. And it reminded me of like a tweet that I saw um, Robert Taylor, who's Fire Shoes. He was messing with a standard version of this deck where you don't have Ashaya, but you do have Agatha's Soul Cauldron. And the combo you do there is you just take Misery's Shadow and put it under the Soul Cauldron. Right? Now, now, once you have that, you activate Cauldron again on your, uh, I guess, what is the standard legal creature land right now? Mishra's Foundry or something like that? Um, yeah. <laughs> or the Black Green Land, I mean. Sure, yeah, that's it. And now you can do that thing where now that you've granted it the pump ability for Misery's Shadow and the Tortoise makes that free, now you have like infinite size. And I'm wondering if that's, I guess it's like more steps than just playing Ashaya with Misery's Shadow in play. But we know that Slug Cauldron is good. Do we? I mean, I don't hate that. You, you have to rebuild the deck, of course. We don't have any other creatures with activated abilities, but um, I, I, I like that idea. I like, also, you get to put it on Hive, which, again, has Menace, which is a huge, um, huge factor. And we can animate it with Ren. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah, so, again, this is a standard list, but the, the enablers that Fire Shoes was messing with were uh, Fauna Shaman. So there's one of your ways to discard. I think he had a couple of Ronas in there as well. Um, he has Slowgrick of the Overslime, four copies, which is very, very cool. Uh, and he was even playing Lanamor Loam Speaker, which is another one that didn't really pan out the way that we thought it might. But the Loam Speaker can give uh, functionally haste to anything. Um, it's another way to... It animates a land. Yeah, and it ramps to the turtle. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a totally different deck, but it's a, it's, it sounds like actually kind of a sweet shell. Splashing the blue is not trivial. I'd probably try to still do it with just black-green, because I think our card quality is just a little better in Pioneer, but that that's, actually sounds pretty sweet. So if you give up blue, you give up Slogurk and the two copies of Rona. That's probably fine. Yeah. Well, we can make it work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very sweet. But I guess we didn't really talk about Slogurk in the Simic deck, but do, do you feel like there's anything there? Like the combination of Slogurk into Tortoise? Well, Slogurk doesn't put lands in your graveyard, right? No, but Slogurk grows whenever the Tortoise fills the graveyard. So it just like becomes this gigantic beater that happens to draw three cards when it dies. Well, it draws three lands. <laughs> exactly. A land is a card. <laughs> In 2023, you land as a card. It, well, it draws lands from your graveyard, though, right? Mm-hmm. But the turtle's putting those into play. So it's it's actually probably not going to draw you anything. I mean, these are two must-kill creatures, right? Like, they can't just let the Slogurk and the turtle run rampant over I feel them. like they can't just leave both of those in play. <laughs> it's interesting. I, I mean, the, the deck you're describing would not play Sensor, would not play Growth Spiral, would not play any of these ramp cards. It'd be like a blue-green mid-range type of shell, which is interesting. You still run into the problem that blue-green has such poor removal. So maybe that would be like more of a salt-eye shell that just splashes black for Fatal Push and Thoughtseize, but everything else is is blue and green. Or maybe it's a black-green list that splashes blue just for Slogurk. Yeah, and maybe this is this is Fire Shoes' concept. Now, again, he's in standard where you don't have Thoughtseize and Push, but we don't have that problem. So, yeah, maybe. Very cool. Very interesting. So does Slogurk have an activated ability? No. Yeah. Activated right. ability is remove three plus one plus one counters from Slogurk to bounce it. 
And when he bounces, you get your lands back from the graveyard if you want, up to three. Oh, so it naturally puts plus one, plus one counters on itself, which is kind of cool with the Soul Cauldron. Indeed. Indeed it does. Yeah, that's that's interesting. That's very interesting. There's a whole like mid-range lands space centered in green, a little bit in blue, a little bit in black. All these cards have underperformed for us. Going back to Soul of Wind Grace, going back to Venom Roundbreaker. Well, you don't have to play black. Black. We're just playing black so we can kill other creatures. Black doesn't have anything to do with actual land cards unless you're playing like. True, but it's just often like a, a recursion color, right? So for you, get for wrong you, it's, or something. It's the underdog and the cling to dust. Is get wrong pioneer legal? Yes. Totally unplayable. We're not going to play get wrong. Okay, fine. But that's a nice one with tortoise as well. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Got off track a little bit, but yes, so. So yeah, that's that's maybe two different shells. Those are both really interesting, though. I'd, I'd have to noodle around with them to like look at how the shells look, but it sounds very promising. But, you know, I like playing these, like, I don't really like having combos that much in my deck because mm-hmm. I feel like you really struggle to assemble them. Mm-hmm. So these these shells I tend to like are these like super grindy tons of decision point decks, but that doesn't mean they're better. Um and I think Soul Cauldron especially has shown it's a super powerful card. So I like that you kind of combine that. I really like Soul Cauldron pumping up High Above the Eye Tyrant. That, that sounds really good to me. Even without the combo, just like it becomes a 4-4, then a 5-5, then a 6-6 Hexproof Menace. I mean, that would win if the game is going to go long. I don't know if that's actually how Pioneer is going to play out. But, oh, yeah. it'll go long. We'll <laughs> make sure of that. Fair enough. All right, so sticking within the Golgari space, you have an alternative approach to black-green. Yeah, so this is getting a little bit wilder. So we are trying to use up the beanstalk. So we already have these turtles that mill, which means we are turning on delve spells. We were playing one Tassiger in our last shell, but if we are also playing Ren and Realmbreaker and we aren't as concerned with bringing back our Tenacious Underdog, which you weren't liking anyway, mm-hmm. we can play a lot more Delve cards. Um, and so I'm playing two Hooting Mandrel, two Murderous Cut, two Tassiger, four up the Beanstalk. And then our other hit for up the Beanstalk is No One Left Behind, which is a super cool card. So four and a black, resurrect a creature. So return it from the graveyard to play. But it costs three less to cast if it targets a creature that is three or less. So if we up the beanstalk on two and we have a creature in the graveyard that costs less than uh, four, so three or less, then on the next turn we can no one left behind for two mana and draw a card. So we have ten hits for up the beanstalk, which is about the minimum. I know um, Law 11's been playing lists with 11, or excuse me, nine. Uh, and he's been having success, so I guess that's good enough for me. I'm not here to question uh, the wisdom. Um, our our milling cards are three Ren and Realmbreaker, one Old Rutstein, the four Blossoming Tortoise, and then two Glowspore Shaman. <laughs> and then uh, our best hit is, for our cheap reanimation spell is for Archfiend's Vessel. Um, so in theory, I mean, what we're trying to do is up the beanstalk and then bring it back for two mana, draw a card, get a five, five demon. Okay. So returning to our original discussion of up the beanstalk, any card that costs five and has some cost reduction is now fair game in magic. And in modern, that's 
nonsense like archive trap, sunscour, commandeer, etc. But you've been working hard on Pioneer, and I had honestly never seen this card before. No one left behind. So you're saying that if you can cast it reduced, right? So reduced from five to two, triggering up the beanstalk, that that's enticing enough for you to like find things that cost two or less to bring back. Yes. Okay. Now the things that we found are <laughs> the pickings are a little bit slim, right? The Archfiend vessel has disappointed us many times, but I, I see the attraction there. So you get that back, it comes back as a five-five flyer that drew a card. Two glow spore shamans. Uh, I winced a little bit when you read that one out. And the tenacious underdog. Is that enough creatures? I mean, it's only seven creatures that can get back off no one left behind. Yeah, and and old Rudstein. Well, also. The nice thing about Taurus is it fills your graveyard and in theory ramps you. Mm. So you can just hard cast no one left behind the turn after you resolve turtle. Ah, true. Um, true. So you can get back another turtle, right? You can get back a, uh, a Hootie Mandrills or a Tassiger. Okay. Ah, fair enough. And then Renin 6 also helps us find out the Beanstalk, right? It looks at three and we can put a permanent card into our hand. So it's like a faux, uh, like ponder-like effect to find the up the Beanstalk. Okay, so I do like this aspect. Random Realm Baker plus Tortoise. Um, <laughs> I'll generously include the Close Spore Shaman. <laughs> that card's so bad. <laughs> well, I was looking for a card that was a hit for No One Left Behind, is yeah. a card that puts some cards in our graveyard and will trade with another creature if they attack. So Glow Spore Shaman, like blocks, Graveyard Trespasser, blocks, Bone Crusher Giant, uh, blocks the Blood Tithe Harvester. Blocks almost everything out of mono white except for Thalia and Adeline. Um, so that's that's the thought process there. I'm not saying Glowspore Shaman is good, and maybe there's a better card, but I couldn't find one. We need Setter Wayfinder so bad. Uh, we need Phalagi Archaeologist in these colors. Well, we can play Setter Wayfinder. The problem is it doesn't actually trade. Like, I want a creature that's going to come into play and actually block. Like, Setter Wayfinder is just a <laughs> just <laughs> getting run over. You could you could play Wayfinder instead. There ought to be something with Explorer coming from the next set that will like solve all these problems. Oh, that's interesting. What's the two mana Explorer guy? People play that card. There's like a two mana green one and a two mana black one. Seeker Squire is pretty bad. Yeah, I just look for cards with milling. What's the green one? Some kind of merfolk. I I can't think of what it's called. <laughs> it's a two one for. All right, maybe that's the card. Dan, solve the problem. Branch Walker, Merfolk, Branch Walker. I don't know about this one. 2 1 that explores. I don't know about this one. <laughs> I mean, we could play Jade Light Ranger and like just have not have two drops. <laughs> but you need two drops, don't you? Oh, three of them. Well, it can be three. So uh, it hits. Okay, my mistake. So, I was... so old Rudstein is also a hit. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, that's kind of interesting then. Hmm. Well, whatever. You can pick your cards. Uh, uh, we all know that Glowspore Shaman is not a card we want to play. I'll just say that. <laughs> right. There, but I want the creature to matter a little bit. I want it to be able to trade. That That's my main desire. <laughs> so the, the basic concept here is we're Thoughtseize push with Beanstalk and Tortoise, right? So two ways to just win as the game goes longer. By drawing cards, by ramping. And then the rest of the stuff is just sort of stuff that it's plausible and supports those. 
Yeah, and I think I think in the in the 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 eight one man interaction for of uh, the beanstalk for blossoming tortoise, you have to play the run and realm breaker. I, I believe. Okay. Yeah, because you need you need an, you need enough other cards at mill. So here's what I will say: what I really like about the tortoise is a common thing that was happening all the time in decks that are relying on like lots of delve cards is they bring in like hearse. Tortoise gets a land in graveyard through hearse, and so you just get to naturally play all your spells if they're dedicating too much cards to graveyard hate, unless it's specifically rest in peace. Because the tortoise ability resolves all at once. So, like, mm. tortoise by itself just gets you to hooting mandrels. Like, all of a sudden, tortoise, okay, they've, they've got a hearse, and they're attacking your graveyard, and you can't cast your two-mana tasker. But they've spent cards doing that. And you have a tortoise in play, and you get to cast a six-mana tasker on turn four or five with your tortoise. And that triggers up the beanstalk anyway. Okay. And like I said, in the late game, like no one left behind can just find your tortoise, which they will probably have to kill. I hope so. I hope so. As long as they're not just like comboing and going way over the top, then this deck looks like it's a lot of fun to grind with, which famous last words from us. Yes. So yeah, I mean, so that's four less for me. And then that's like, like I said, another two cool ideas that you, you had uh, mentioned that are being used in standard. So there's just lots of room. Like the turtle does so many things that has like four interesting lines of text. So there's lots of different directions you can take it. Yeah, there's there's one card I wanted to ask you about, and it was in your previous list in your in your first black green mid range. You included two copies of Field of Ruin. That was like one of the the hidden angles for Tortoise that I, I wondered if there was something there. Just because, you know, Fable Passage has has more or less been a disappointment, but people are not really playing that many basics, right? There's a lot of greedy mana bases out there. And when you look at the success of the Demolition Field, Field of Ruin, Shell, the core, and like Mono Black and Modern, you think Pioneer should be even more vulnerable to a deck with like a a crap ton of Field of Ruins and Demolition Fields. And I was just like wondering if there's potentially a way to brew with a tortoise just like four tortoise eight field of ruins and just work backwards from there yeah i tried because you and i love the uh green uh white green value town shell Mm -hmm. i just couldn't figure out like how to build it like once i was playing black that didn't make sense to me it seems like there must be a way to do that i i just didn't know how to do it it's hard to play that many basic lands yourself um, we probably have to ramp to the turtle because we have to start doing it on turn four. Hopefully, I I wasn't sure what the, what the what the right thing to do was. Yeah, the trouble is that once you add any second color, it's really hard to support <laughs> that mana base. Of right, field of ruin demolition field. Because my my initial thought was like, oh well, cleansing wildfire is actually quite good if they don't have anything else going on. Right, if they're out of basics. Right. Uh, dire strain rampage, which is a joke of card, but that I'm stuck on. That's like a double field of ruin, right? It ramps you the first time and then you flash it back, get their land. Like, I just wondered if there was something there, um, like combining those cleansing wildfire, dire strain, rampage, tortoise, and the field of ruin effects. But you just run out of basics in your own deck. Although like once you get to a certain point, it's probably fine that you aren't getting a basic back. Like as long as you can get the first three, maybe you're fine. So if you just play like two forests, two mountains, let's say mm-hmm. you're going to target them with the red instance or the, excuse me, the red sorcery. So that doesn't matter. Um, maybe there is, I, I couldn't find the list, but, but maybe there, maybe there is. Yeah. Something to think about. So yeah, surprising number of concepts in pioneer. 
Before we leave the turtle behind, uh, worth mentioning that this is a card that should be good enough for modern. Should. In, in a non-Beanstalk world, this card should be a straight upgrade to Solar Wind Grace. Would you agree with that? Hmm, no, because I think Fetchlands made Solar Wind Grace basically always hit anyway. So I don't think that the turtle is a straight upgrade. Well, okay. I mean, fair enough. But the, the mill is worth so much. The most successful Solar Wind Grace decks in Modern were not just using Fetchlands, but also using Urza Saga, right? Yes. So you'll find the Saga more often. That's the baseline. Now, what, what makes Tortoise, in my opinion, clearly better than Solar Wind Grace is that you, you now have the combo option, right? And in Modern, you just do it very clean. The card Lava Claw reaches by itself combos with Tortoise to become infinite power. Uh, you don't have to add any draconic destinies to the mix. You don't have to put Misery Shadows onto Solar Collisions or anything like that. Noah Shia is required. Just get a Lava Claw reaches into play, get a Tortoise into play, and you now have an infinite power attacker. And that's already in the right colors for like Jund Saga stuff with lands. Updating this with the currently played cards would probably include Orcish Bowmasters. Um, even you look at the deck, it doesn't scream powerful to you, but it, it kind of makes sense. Right? I saw Aspiring Spike was messing around with you know some version that had those cards: Tarmogoyf, Fables, Friend and Six, etc. Um, I've seen other people you know thinking maybe I should ramp, which these days in modern that means you're playing the one-two halfling, deleted halfling. Um, maybe place like you know, more Planeswalkers. They were playing Liliana's on three in addition to Ren and Six. I don't know how viable like this is in the current state of modern, but in terms of internal synergies, this makes sense to me as an internally synergistic lands package for mid-range that gets much better now with Tortoise and this infinite combo. Yeah. I, I Again, the problem is the <laughs> the other cards that are being played in modern, but yes. <laughs> I agree with you. I mean, the shell, the shell just seems sweet. Uh, I like that you naturally have a uh, Shadow Spear like that that you're going to play in your mm. Urza Saga deck. I like that it reduces the cost of Saga itself and brings it back. So you just have this like crazy long game. Um, you still, you know, just like in Pioneer, you're basically putting all this interaction underneath it, right? Uh, one mana removal, a one mana hand disruption. It's like almost the same recipe. You get to play much better Planeswalkers because Ren is so good. Um it's just like Red and Six was maybe the most powerful card in Modern or, you know, certainly in your top five. Now it doesn't see hardly any play at all. Mm. I'd be like surprising to see it in top eight. And that's the most powerful card in the shell. We're adding the Blossoming Tortoise to that. That That's, you know, those are the things that make me nervous. Mm. Okay. Well, we'll just put that out there as an option. Uh, anything else on Blossoming Tortoise? Not yet. That is our testing for the week, so we will get back to you next time and let you know what we found. Speaking of which, uh, we have some testing to report on from the previous show. So this kicks off our flashback segment, and I'll start us off with Spiteful Hexmage. That was our card last time. Spiteful Hexmage, single black, human warlock, 3-2. When at ETBs, you create a cursed role attached to target creature you control. David, since you took the lead and just like already went ahead and 5 0 with your Satessin Champion brew, I decided I would try a, a slightly different approach, right? So you, you proposed, what if you had like a, a mono red aggro where you actually splashed black and Spiteful Hexmage now supports the card Godric 
cloaked reveler. And this is that really fascinating uh, three, three haste for three with celebration where celebration says, as long as two or more non-land permanents enter the battlefield under your control this turn, celebration is turned on. And in Godric's case, that means uh, he becomes a four, four flying dragon. He's fulfilled his draconic destiny and he's now cruising over in the air and pump him as much as you have mana for it seemed like a super sweet payoff. Now, in order to support Celebration, you'd, you'd identified a bunch of sweet cards, um, Spiteful Hexmage being one of them, but also Charming Scoundrel, uh, another new one, Kari Zev, Skyship Raider, Kumano faces Kakazan. Um, these cards all naturally curve into a turn three Godric. Blood Tithe Harvester, a card that you, know, you don't really think of that as an aggro card, but I mean, at the end of the day, it is still a three, two for three. It's a Watch Wolf with upside, wildly, that can also be a removal spell. <laughs> and then after you've used it as a removal spell, you just catch in the blood to discard a land for a, a new a new gas card. Um, it all sort of made sense. Like, it's a kind of shell that we just don't see this in Pioneer. Uh, Rakdos aggro is just not a thing. So I kind of wanted to see why. It seems super sweet. The one change I made was... D Jeff MTG, uh, fantastic brewer in the Faithless Brewing Discord. Absolutely. Took a look at your your shell and he suggested, you know, what if what if Phoenix Chick is the perfect support card? We'd initially had uh, some other creature, David. What was it? The two one something? The black two one that comes back with raid for one and a black colon. That's right. Yeah. Blood soaks It's a warrior, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> So DJ said, well, what if we just cut that and put in Phoenix Chick instead? And that seemed like a great suggestion. It makes the mana a lot smoother, right? Because now you have a lot less pressure to play black on turn one. So yes. we're, we're more red heavy on turn one. And we're already playing four dens anyway. Correct. Exactly. And then the Phoenix Chick is just like a much better receptacle for your random roll tokens. So you'd, you'd put, I think, two Monstrous Rage in the deck. And I thought, okay, let's just go up to four, right? If we're going to play a Phoenix Chick, let's go up to four copies of Monstrous Rage. Not the greatest play to just spam three damage onto Monstrous Rage, but it's kind of like a Lava Spike. It turns your Phoenix Chick into a two-power beater. Charming Scoundrel can also just put its roll onto the Phoenix Chick. Uh, and now with four Monstrous Rage, you know, maybe I'm more likely to just do that play of like turn one Hex Mage Curse itself, turn two, slam the Monstrous Rage to make a 6-4 becomes a 4-3 trample. Yeah, no, it, ma it makes a lot of sense to me. So this is what I queued up. Um, I got a Gentleman's 3-2, a Suspicious 3-2, where right off the bat just lost badly to Enigmatic, which is a deck that I assumed I would be favored against. I think I was just like sideboarding badly or something. They don't really defend themselves, so I thought I, I should have a clear path to just run over them, but, you know, they drew their temporary lockdowns and I didn't... Uh, I think I kept like a one lander in game one, which was a mistake. So that was my bad. Um, beat Lotus in a three game set where I think I probably should have won all three. I just, there's these plays you don't think about. Like I had two mana left. I just played my Blood Tithe Harvester and I just forgot that I should sack the blood right away to churn my last card for a Phoenix Chick, which would have been like Odawara insurance. I realized that as soon as I went to the attack that I should have done that. And then sure enough, they had Odawara and then... I post-combat cracked and found out that the Phoenix Chick was on top. So that was my bad. Um, yeah. Little, little things like that. But yeah, the deck is good against Lotus, right? These decks that do not offer any ground resistance. Uh, I found that this deck was actually quite good at producing a fair amount of power. 
Now, where it got a little bit trickier was when the opponent was actually blocking. And these were my last three opponents, uh, Boros Heroic, Gruel Midrange, and Mono Green. Against Boros Heroic, uh, another monstrous rage deck, incidentally, I found that, um, I mean, being on the play helped. Obviously, it's always nice to cast your monstrous rage when they're tapped out. But I found that my best strategy there was to just switch it up and just bring in all the removal spells. So the way you constructed it initially had play with fire, lightning strike, and then the blood tithe harvester. So 12 main deck ways to kill things. And then in the sideboard, I just, you know, went with some fatal pushes and rending volleys. So when all those are in, we've got a ton of ways to kill things. And that seemed to more or less work. Um, I was able to just chew through the Boros creature suite. Um, and then again, I was attacking un uncontested. So again, mission achieved of getting rid of uh, their blockers. That stopped working, however, against the green decks. Um, so Gruel Midrange and Mono Green. Technically, I beat the Gruel deck, but I don't think I should have won that. And then Mono Green, I stole a game with, you know, two Hex Mages into a Monstrous Rage uh, in the first two turns. But apart from that, it, it was tough. I mean, the issue was that as soon as they play anything with toughness, I just couldn't attack anymore, and most of my cards, whether that was the 3-2 Hex Mage, the 3-2 Blood Tithe Harvester, the 1-1 Scoundrel, the Karizev, and the Regavan Token, the 2-2 Kumano, like, they're just not that scary when the opponent has a Love Struck Beast or an Old Growth Troll or a Chariot or anything like that. You know, if the <laughs> if the Cavalier of Thorns came down, I just, I could no longer attack. Um, and that included Godric, right? Like, so the whole hope was that Godric would be doing all the spectacular stuff in the sky. Uh, you know, he just like wasn't quite big enough. Like he's not actually bigger than those green creatures. So I was working hard to like occasionally get some Godric damage in. Meanwhile, they're just like counterattacking me with an old growth troll and like untapping it with their Kiora to block again. I felt like I was working very, very hard, and I, I suddenly became aware of the fact that my creatures are actually kind of undersized, and this this might just be a Rakdos problem. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, your sideboard is also like unusual cards. Because you're playing black, I think you tricked yourself into playing Fatal Push. Um, you know, most red decks are playing like the one in a red, do four damage to a, a Planeswalker creature and exile it. I mean, that would have helped against Old Growth Troll, but not against Love Struck Beasts. It wouldn't have helped against Chariots or against... I mean, I, yeah, I guess True. I could have played Burning Hands, but I decided not to. Yeah, Burning Hands, a Braid. Like, these are more common sideboard cards. Like, you're playing Graveyard Trespasser. I don't... What were you bringing that in against? Uh, I think I brought it in against Midrange. Um, but I wanted some kind of graveyard interaction that was still aggressive. It seemed more relevant than Unlicensed Hearse, for example. I didn't put a ton of thought into the sideboard. Yeah, no, I, I'm not saying it can be fixed with the sideboard, but yeah, like... It just struck me. I don't think I've ever seen four fatal push in a sideboard before. So it's kind of an interesting, um, as you call it, a Rakdos problem. If you look at if you look at like the red green aggro decks that are not dissimilar from our shell because they aren't enticed by fatal push, they're very ready to get rid of green creatures through red means, um, and a lot of those happen to exile. Um, but yeah, but it, like to your point, maybe it just isn't going to have a good matchup there. Well, you've been extolling the virtues of Fatal Push, and my thought process was that this deck seems to have enough, right? Between Blood Tithe Harvester, between the Charm Scoundrel, between roles replacing themselves, that seemed like there was enough to activate Revolt, so that like I could I could use Fatal Push as my Shale Droid Killer, whereas like red decks have to play Roast or whatever. 
um, which I wasn't that excited about, although maybe Roast was the answer the whole time. Yeah, I'm not saying Fatal Push is necessarily wrong, but like my instinct would be to play like two Fatal Push, two cards that um, exile when they do damage, or even like two Misery Shadow. Like you just have to have ways to exile the green creatures. Mm. Um, I saw we have an Experimental Frenzy here. I was not surprised to see that as a, as a one-off. <laughs> it's actually pretty good with Godric, I think. I mean, I was drawing from the sideboards of like various red style decks. So yeah. there's the one next frenzy. There's the one Hazaret. Uh, Obnix list was completely useless in the matchups that I faced. Uh, I don't. Yeah. And it might just not be good in this deck as anyway. I, my thought literally was just like, this always generates. Um, yeah. The turn it comes into play. And then even the following turn, if it like locks in the Godric thing, but if Godric wasn't even that good, then maybe that's the problem. I mean, I wanted Godric to be good. The times where he disappointed was when, you know, a couple of games I was like one damage short from doing what I wanted to do, right? And the reason was because I have all these tap lands, Bugbear, Cliffs, whatever, like eventually they're going to be tapped. And Godric, you just feel that every time. It's like, oh, there's a damage I could have had. Mm. Um, I didn't think it would matter, but it, it mattered a lot. Uh, the other card that was like consistently kind of disappointing was Charming Scoundrel, where it has all these modes but they all add up to like less than a card. And even the turns where I'm like, oh, I'm going to double spell it with my scoundrel, make a treasure. By the time I added up like how much damage I'd actually done, it was like the same as if I just hadn't drawn the scoundrel at all. Like I could just use the mana directly on, you know, casting something else. Um, and then once you're cutting the scoundrels, which is often what I cut on the sideboarding, it's like, okay, I actually don't have that much support now for my spiteful hex mage. I don't have as much support for my Godric. Um, so I don't know. Like I just I wonder if if I had to cut the scoundrels, is there another card that is on plan? He's just so small. Like the scoundrel is just like such a small creature. Yeah. Yeah, there really isn't another one. I mean, the only, the only other card I can think of is the blood generating uh, one one that technically flips. Godric is an okay body for spiteful hex mage, but it's also a very weak creature, and it is worse with phoenix chick and worse with spiteful hex mage. If it comes after it, I was going to ask you, David, if um, if you thought Lord Skidder's blessing might be worth consideration here, it's like you you use that successfully in your Satessin Champion five zero. Yeah, I mean it's it's actually kind of an interesting. Well, now you're playing Phoenix Chick, I'm a lot more interested. So my creatures will not have protection, right? Like you were able to put the roll onto the hexproof guy, but maybe just like between hex mage, between monstrous rage. I just like have enough. Although I, that would make me want to keep some number of scoundrels in because they enchant themselves or something else. I would at least cut the Obnixilis for the first one. That actually sounds really interesting to me. Hmm. Yeah, it seemed like it would have been a better sideboard card um, just for like a more polarized kind of matchups than Obnixilis was. Yeah, it just sets up such a sweet clock to like Phoenix into that. It's like attacks for two every turn now and you're drawing extra cards like against Lotus or Enigmatic or something. Mm hmm. And the other big change I was considering is the main deck removal you proposed was all ones that were capable of going face. And that didn't come up as often as I thought it would. Like, so maybe like the pushes should just be main deck instead of the play with fires. Like I, I had several turns where I have the option to like use my burn spells to go face, but like that same mana could just be pumped into Godric for the, the same effect. So I wasn't getting that much out of the ability to like burn them out. 
I think I saw one game with a lightning strike, which is not nothing in a small sample size, but it wasn't beyond that. It wasn't like a great card, the lightning strike. And same with play with fire. Like I, I understand the need for an elf killer, but maybe it should just be fatal push. Yeah, maybe. I guess my concern is like having to play Blighted Pathway on black to cast push, and then we can't mm-hmm. double red spell on the next turn. Yeah. But yeah, again, I, I have not played a single game with the list. Do those all seem like interesting things to try out, though? Yeah, it's like unexplored space for sure. And I, am, <laughs> I have to wonder why it's unexplored. <laughs> is it just because the Rakdos creatures are not good? Like, I have playing a lot of three twos in here, and that's turns out... It's easy to stop those with your own creatures if you want to. Three twos that don't have haste, so like if they're bringing in sweepers, they're going to sweep these away. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, we have a bit of haste, though, with the Phoenix Chick added. A bit, a bit, but, you know. I mean, I'll take a three-two. I'm not upset. It was, it was a fun experiment for sure, and I was very intrigued by Monstrous Rage. It seemed very good. Um... It took me a while to actually like draw the hex mage. I didn't draw it as often as I hoped for the first few rounds, but uh, it's a really it's a really exciting play. Like turn one hex mage curse itself is actually kind of fun. <laughs> like, you don't know what's gonna happen. Right? <laughs> Will I draw the monstrous rage? Well, and to your point, like if you if you add a couple skitters in there, then all of a sudden you you quote unquote have the nut draw more often, mm-hmm. and it pumps its power to four, which according to you is the key number to be trading with these creatures. Exactly. Yeah, then maybe just the monstrouses are enough, like upkeep. Yeah, it's... And this Lord Skitter's triggers. So yeah, maybe you cut two of the 1-1 dudes, you play two of the Lord Skitter's, or you, you cut the... Obnixilis, for sure. You cut the Obnixilis and a Charming Scoundrel and play two of the Lord Skitter's Blessing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I'm I'm liking the sound of it. I can't lie. All right, so that's what I played. Um... What about you, David? Since I'd already 5-0'd with the uh, Hex Catcher, or whatever the hell it's called, (laughs) um, I was exploring the magical world of Up the Beanstalk in Pioneer. Oh boy. (laughs) Okay. So the first thing I tried is a friend of the podcast, Rhett, had been playing like these cycling lists with like um old stick fingers which is like black green x and um some uh, i can't even remember all the cards he was playing the the thing that i was not liking is that it was also playing a bunch of lurgoyfs to fill the graveyard mm. and uh one of the things i don't like is if you're playing cards that are graveyard related and your beatdown plan is also graveyard related i just think you're in like really bad shape um so what I propose is like, what if we kind of transfigure the deck to be cycling focused? Then we can still play Overwhelming Remorse. So Overwhelming Remorse is four and a black instant exile target creature or planeswalker. And it's reduced by a colorless for every creature you have in your graveyard. So obviously every creature you cycle makes it cheap. It can very easily become a one mana exile target creature or planeswalker. Exiling effects matter against mono green. We just talked about that. So that triggers up the beanstalk. Um, and all these cycling cards let you, in theory, cast a cheap hollow one, which triggers up the beanstalk. And, um, I propose playing Rona, which is a card that loots to help cast a cheap hollow one. And then Raven Man, which is a card that triggers, uh, Rona to untap and also 
Um, in theory, it can trigger on your turn and their turn to make 1-1 one, one ravens. So we put together like a few shells and tooled around with them on Arena. We didn't actually play a league. And we kind of liked the cut of the deck's jib. It has some weaknesses. It doesn't have enough one-mana removal because we're forced to play all these sort of synergy pieces. So yeah, it, so it's like four Curator Mystery, four Horror of the Broken Lands, four Stripe River Winder, and then you got your like Raven Man, Rona, like synergy pieces. And, you know, I sent you a few like screenshots, a few little clips where, you know, you get your up the beanstalk down early, you start casting a bunch of free hollow ones and they're each drawing two cards. You know, you can, up the beanstalk is definitely like a feast or famine card. It like is either really good or really bad. So with any beanstalk list, right, it's, you just check and see like, what is our cost reduction cards? And you're saying you want it to be hollow one, four copies, four copies of this bizarre removal spell, overwhelming remorse. And you're still playing two copies of that reanimator card, the no yes, one left yep. behind. Yep. And that's basically the essence of your cost reduction suite, right? Those are the cards that are going to trigger. Yeah, and for the cost reduction. And then like various shells are playing Lich King's whatever, the, the mass reanimate, because in theory we could get a bunch of one ones from the Raven Man. I think we've kind of abandoned that as we move forward, but that was another five mana spell that can turn all of our Shitty little ravens and play into, you know, whatever, 5-5 five, five on Tarkables. <laughs> so you've got the cycling core, Curator of Mysteries, Horror of the Broken Land, Stripe River Winder, and two Waker of Waves. I mean, this is like living living in, but without any payoff. <laughs> did you find that that was, did that feel okay? Well, that part is kind of cool. It makes your deck really consistent. Like, you don't have to play very many lands. You can keep a ton of one-landers, and you just rip through your deck. The problem is specifically Shieldred, if they thought seize your removal pieces, you're actually okay against Graveyard Hate because you just play up the Beanstalk and then just cycle your way to five lands. It's more just like decks that can get on top of you early, uh, like Mono White and, and decks like that, where the, or uh, turn one mana elf into turn two Kiora. Those are decks where not having one mana removal really slows you down. So we've experimented like taking out a lot of synergy pieces, like cutting a bunch of Raven Mans, playing our own Shieldreds to counter their, their Shieldreds, playing four Thoughtseize, playing four Push, playing all eight. Uh, still kind of trying to like decide on the shell. One of the ideas I had was playing four Flourishing Fox as a cycling card. So we actually have good targets for no one left behind. Oh, I like that. Um, and it's a colorless cycler. Like the deck is pretty mana hungry. Like... Horror of the Broken Lands requires black to cycle. Curator of the Mysteries requires blue to cycle. You need to have green for up the beanstalk, which is the only green card in the deck. So it's like you actually have some color requirements. So Flourishing Fox is kind of cool. Like cycle Flourishing Fox on one, play up the beanstalk. Turn three, you can, you know, no one left behind the fox, draw a card, cycle another card, and the fox gets bigger. It's like it's a threat they have to kill that functionally can draw a card with no one left behind. So things like the Riverwinder or the Horror of the Broken Lands, there's no actual plan to cast these. Oh, I cast Horror of the Broken Lands in the late game all the time. Like once you have two beans in play and it's turn six, you just play a five mana Horror of the Broken Lands, draw two. Hmm. Okay, but you're thinking you could replace like the Riverwinders with... Uh... The Riverwinders are what I replaced, yeah. What about the three six dinosaur inspiring Vantasaur, Color the Cycler? Yeah, I mean, I think Flourishing Fox is literally just better because it lets you play more hits for Beanstalk. 
So the, the list I'm currently experimenting with is four Flourishing Fox, four Rona, one Raven Man. Mm. And then my Cyclers are the four Flourishing Fox, four Rona, which can loot like a Cycler, four Curator of Mysteries, four Horror of Broken Lands, four Hollow Ones. <laughs> Such a wild concept. <laughs> the deck is actually like a blast. Like when it goes well, again, these beans lists, like when it goes well, it feels so good. You tear through your deck. All you're finding are just these cards that trigger beans over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like you play Hollow One for free or for all mana and you draw a card. It trades with like two cards of theirs or something like you just run over red black if they don't have Shielded in play. You know, sometimes they play Shieldred and they weren't able to thought seize all your overwhelming remorses. You just kill Shieldred, like draw two. You know, once you just play your Curator of Mystery or whatever. <laughs> the other thing a deck does eventually, which happens all the time, is I just flip Rona. Like that that becomes a 5-5 five, five trample because you cycle through your whole deck and they have to trade all these resources and then you just... And Rona's get backable with no one left behind as well. So it's kind of like the way I've won almost every game is I end up just like... The free hollow ones, you know, kill all their creatures. They have to sweep them away. And they just, like, attack with a 5-5 Rona Trample. They don't want to block it. It reminds me a little bit of your um, real Flourishing Fox deck. Like, if you just cut the black, play red instead, you wouldn't have the reanimation angle, but... Yeah, and you wouldn't have Overwhelming Remorse. That was one of the better cards you found? Yeah, it's really important. Again, you have to kill you have to kill Shieldred because every card in your deck does two to you. Ah, uh, yes. There's something here. I haven't figured it out yet, but I will I will solve it. If I can get a three two with it, I'll at least showcase th- that uh an official league we can discuss <laughs> one of these weeks. <laughs> I mean, this would be so sweet. It's like living deathless, living death and playing here. I hope you can pull it off. Yeah, there you go. So less successful up the Beanstalk brews. I brewed up an up the Beanstalk Titan's Nest shell. The thought was I was always looking for more enchantments for Commune with the Gods, which is a cool card that finds Titan's Nest. It finds Shark Typhoon. Now it can find up the Beanstalk. And it fills your graveyard for the Titan's Nest. So, you know, it functionally costs zero to play or whatever. It makes mana. To get our enchantment count up, I played three Founding the Third Pass, which was okay, and two Lay the Claims. I played four Seed of Hope as the card to fill my graveyard, just to be easier on my mana. So, um, they were okay. I hit, I think I only missed once. And then the the cards, the payoff cards were really Worst Fears, Murderous Cut, Shark Typhoon, Lay Claim. And the problem is just the Titan's Nest is just such a bad card. Like, the turn you play it is so bad. Unlike Fires, unlike Wilderness Rec- Reclamation, you don't get your mana back that turn. So if you play it and they have removal, and now I played a bunch of decks that had the stupid channel land, they just get to main deck one or two of those. Uh, you just lose it <laughs> right away. And then other times you play it and you don't draw the right mix of cards or you're too far behind because you're playing all these synergy pieces. Um, So yeah, I think I went one, four, one, three drop or something. It's like it struggles against aggro because you're you're doing all this other stuff. It struggles against control shells because you're trying to resolve a four mana sorcery spell. So it's there's just I don't know if there's anything there. This is the deck I tried, so hopefully people can iterate on it and do better than, than I did. Maybe some of these cards intrigue you and some of them you hate, and you can replace them with better ideas than I had. So Titan's Nest has, has never really worked, but the times that it did succeed, 
worst fear has turned out to be like more reliable of a stabilizing card than I think whatever we had before. Um, worst fears was a they my opponent would just throw down. I never actually took a turn. I never I never actually got to resolve worst fears. Like worst fears goes on the stack and ends the game. That's really surprising. That is absolutely correct. Like I've never five owed with a Titan's Nest, but I think a couple people have like in the course of Pioneer and yeah. they both were playing worse fears. So that's not even a card that was on my radar. I wasn't even aware of it. That's where I got the tech from. So the improvement in, improvement would <laughs> be Beanstalk, right? <laughs> like, Beanstalk, did you feel like that was actually improving your consistency or was it, did you feel like you're getting paid off for having this card? It let me play Communion of the Gods, which I think maybe this is where I have it exactly wrong, but I think the Communion with the Gods is really nice as a way to like find Titans and Nest, fill up your graveyard. And then like finding the third path let me Communion with the Gods as well. So you just have this incredible deck velocity. And I wasn't having to play like Gaze, um, which is a card that's kind of let me down. Mm. Um, up the Beanstalk was, yeah, super cool. Like, again, like when everything's going right, like. You know, kill, carry at it on two, Titan's Nest on three, up the Beanstalk, Shark Typhoon draw card is just, it's so good. <laughs> You're like, man, this deck is just awesome. But like, then other times you, you know, we're only playing 22 lands. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what, what, what ought to be done here. I, there's, there's obviously something wrong. I mean, maybe you're just supposed to play like a Leyland Binding Mana Base. You know, we're, we're trying to like reinvent Beanstalk for Pioneer, but. Maybe the solution is just to be super greedy and just play Leyland Binding like the Div decks do, the Bring to White decks. Yeah, maybe that's boring, it. But, but if you're going to do that, then I don't think you should play Titan's Nest. I think the correct yeah. Leyland Binding lists have been found. So, And, and they, you know, they're okay. They're, they're not great. I'm just looking at the cost reduction effects. There's uh, discontinuity. Do you want to play a discontinuity of Beanstalk deck? <laughs> There's Hearth Elemental Beanstalk. Uh, hmm. The other card I was kind of thinking of that is, uh, I guess it's not very good with being stuck. I was thinking of the three, four that draws cards uh, or discards your hand and draws three, but I guess you discard all the cards you draw with your beanstalk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what does there? So is Marshmiss Titan cost reduction for your devotion to black. Brian giant one less for each enchantment you control. I'm sure you've gone through all these already. <laughs> yeah, it's, there's something there with Titan's Nest. I just, I'm not even close to it. So I just need to like, you know, we need to both live in our own house for a while. We need to decide <laughs> if this marriage is going to work. <laughs> <laughs> Separate bedrooms, at least. Like we, we just need to like think about what we want out of this relationship. <laughs> so it's like, okay, that, that didn't work. And, and you know, Titan's Nest is already kind of a knucklehead, right? It's a very speculative card. So then I kind of took, um, Law 11 had played a up the beanstalk cultivate invoke despair shell and i was like okay it'd be cool to play fires of invention in that list i i thought and if we're going to play for cultivate anyway we can basically just play one basic mountain and our mana base is not actually challenged very much and the ram from cultivate is cool because it means on turn four we actually will have five lands in play so we can just go fires into invoke hmm. um was the thought process. So our hits for um, up the Beanstalk are four Invoke Despair, two Meat Hook Massacre, one Corvold, one Tassiker, two Murderer's Cuts. I really like Murderer's Cut with um, with up the Beanstalk. And then everything else is just stuff to keep us alive. Four Thought Seeds, four Push, one Abrupt Decay. And yeah, again, the deck just felt super mediocre. Like, 
I, I know Law 11, although he's a big up the Beanstalk fan, has also pointed out playing five mana cards in um, Pioneer is really hard. And that's what it just came down to. Like I died multiple times with Invoke Despair in my hand. Fires of Invention doesn't let you ever destroy your opponent's lands that are attacking you. So luckily I had El Corvold to save me in one game to sack <laughs> the fires. But yeah, unless you have a ton of cost reduction, I just don't think you can play off the Beanstalk. And, and the, the only thing I can think of is Delve. I know he, uh, Law 11, 5, old with that 3-3. Three, three, uh, <laughs> Storm against Prowess creature, yeah. Like, that list looked terrible to me, but I, you know, he's had a lot more success with the Beanstalk than I have. So I, I would maybe just not listen to me. Other than you can not try these shells. <laughs> you, can, you can learn that lesson. So still trying to figure it out. Maybe up the Beanstalk just isn't really good. Um, even the BTL lists, I think, are cutting back to like only two, sometimes playing only two in a Urian shell. You know, if you're playing two cards of something out of 80, it's just it's just not that central to what you're doing, right? It's basically the same list. It's amazing how much more interesting the card gets when you don't have all these stupid cost reduction cards like Modern Heads. Yeah, it's like actually really well designed. Like it, the problem is not up the beanstalk. It is the pitch elementals. So. Mm -hmm. I don't want anyone to get like twisted about how the card is like badly designed. It's really well designed. And you can see like the tensions it's it's putting under the the brewing people. Like people have to think about it. It's it's really interesting. I was so hopeful for this last one because when I look at what are the available cost reduction cards in Pioneer, it's slim pickings, right? You're like, man, they're they're not sending us their best people when they're when you're looking at the Pioneer cost reduction cards. So when you said invoke despair, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, if I just look at the five drops, there's plenty of powerful five-minute cards in Pioneer. They just aren't cost reduction. So it seemed like this could really unlock it, but it sounds like even five mana is just too much. Yeah, like this deck was the most functional of them. Like it plays a very normal plan. And you can imagine games where you go like turn one, push their elf, turn two, up the beanstalk, turn three, cultivate, turn four, fires of invention, invoke, despair, like... Kill or cure, or kill a creature, draw a card, and then draw a card from up the beanstalk. But that just doesn't happen that often. You have a bunch of hands where you have a bunch of five drops in your hand, and you don't have any, like, looting effects, so you always have the thoughts he's pushed, like, draw the wrong half angle, and... Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like, even with all this one game, I had to take extra damage to have the out to draw an extra land for Invoke Despair. Because you still have to pay four black if you don't have your fires. Like, we have a lot of black in the deck, but we have to play some <laughs> basic lands. And, and those came up. I mean, that cost me an entire game. It just, that's what happens when you play these clunky cards. Hmm. Okay, so initial verdict after three leagues of Beanstalk and how many match wins? Did we, did we get multiple match wins or not yet? Uh, well, I never played the looting list oh, yeah, in, okay. on, on okay. MTGO. Between the, the Salti Nest and the Invoke, I think I won a match. <laughs> a lot of one-two losses, if, if you want to. Yeah. All right, so it turns out that Spiteful Hexmage is just much more powerful than Up the Beanstalk. Up the Beanstalk, exactly. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, but yeah, it's been fun. It's been a ton of fun experimenting with these cards. I love that Up the Beanstalk is not solved in Pioneer, um, that there's still room to explore. That makes it an exciting card to keep an eye on. Speaking of, new cards are coming. I feel like we've probably got one more episode full of Wilds of Eldraine brews. 
we have some a little bit of unfinished business with the set, so maybe we'll just do one more show, just uh, emptying out the can. Yeah, I still have a bunch of stuff I want to try. So, but those will probably just be like notes at the end. You know, and normally we, by the time we record next, there will be a ton of spoiler cards, and we know that there's so much text on those cards. It takes us a long time to go through them, a long time to discuss all the things that they do. So, exactly. So you haven't heard the last of Wilds of Eldraine yet. We will follow up on this. Uh, we'll get those last brews out, but we'll also be keeping our eye on the newest stuff. Um, if you want to jump in the Faith is Brewing Discord, now that previews are flying, a uh, great time to hop in and come brew with the awesome community, and we'd love to see you there. All right. Until next week, sir. Take care. Deck lists for this episode can be found at our homepage, faithlessbrewing.com. And tune in next time for part one of our Brewer's Guide to Lost Caverns of Ixalan. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. Join the Faithless family and help support the show at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.